the four pack of the Ope Hazy IPA that me and you have had. Oh yeah, uh, over over the weekend at the liquor store, it was eighteen bucks for a four pack. Those twenty dollar four packs, man, will just yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> sad because there's so many I want to try, but I'm just like I'm not spending twenty bucks on four beers right? when I can get all these Voodoo Rangers or beer hugs yeah. or whatever for you know fourteen ninety nine for twelve, and then and they're always better anyway. I don't exactly. know why. Exactly, you know what you're getting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I totally agree. Unlike this week uh, in in our our films, I, I did not know what I was getting this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was a uh, listen. I gotta, I gotta just preface this by this is one of the. I'm looking forward to this episode uh, quite a bit. Okay, uh, me too. <laughs> I, I've got a yeah. lot. I've got a lot to say. I've got a lot of notes. Um, I didn't plan to do that much, but check this out for a second. This is my <laughs> shit on just. This is just terms of endearment. Holy fuck. And then, now, now we haven't even introduced all this yet, but we're going to do Demolition Man for mm-hmm. reasons. And watch this. This is Demolition Man. <laughs> it's still going, Peter. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've put awesome. more time into writing notes for this podcast than I ever did uh <laughs> studying in school <laughs> writing reports and i've done it in the span of i don't know all this stuff took me maybe i don't know the, the terms of endearment notes were a half hour this was right. just while watching demolition man so we're talking two hours but uh um i'm glad you suggested we start a little early tonight i i don't always know that just having a lot of stuff to say means we're gonna go on real long we might burn through all this but um either way uh I guess let's get it going. This is sure. a podcast called The Big 4 with Ron and Peter. I am Ron. I'm Peter. Every week, we take a look at a movie that came out this week, 40 years ago. This week, it's... Uh, November 28th. 1983. The only big movie release this week is James L. Brooks' Terms of Endearment. Or as I always thought of it growing up, the cancer movie. The movie where the two boys... Watch their mom die of cancer. That's all I remember from it. Uh, I don't remember ever watching this movie, at least not all the way through. I just remember the final scene where the kids are saying goodbye to their mom. One kid's being a jerk. One kid's crying. I remember asking my mom why the kid's being a jerk. And she's just like, oh, they have a contentious relationship or whatever. And, And isn't that other kid so cute? As he's bawling his eyes out, and I'm just like, I never need to watch this fucking movie again. Also, I was probably six or something at the time when it was on TV, and I saw it, and I was just like, that's that's stuck with me all these years. I'm not a big fan of uh, these movies where people are just like, oh, that's such a great movie. And I'm like, what's it about? And it's like, well, they die of cancer, or the person spends the movie dying of some terminal illness. And and I get there's nuances, and there's things where you you pulls at your heartstrings and and some people just like to cry or have this emotional experience. I do not. I don't want to sit through a movie where somebody's just dying and all is there is to make you sad. Um, And we won't spoil anything about this movie or what I thought about it uh, or or whether that's accurate or any of that stuff, but I have avoided this movie for, it hasn't been hard. It's not like people are coming up to me like going, Hey, have you watched (laughs) terms of endearment lately? Yeah. It's like my drinking buddies. We're putting terms of endearment on tonight. You want to come over? (laughs) Like, oh shit. It's the ultimate party movie. Yeah. 
I can't play tonight. You know, it, it, it really hasn't come up too much, but, right. <laughs> but, uh, that said, I, I have, as much as I know this movie is well regarded, it won a bunch of Oscars. We're going to talk about all of this. Uh, I, I have 100% avoided it. We were talking last week. We're like, oh, fuck, we got to watch Terms of Endearment. Oh, shit. What are we going to do? Uh, how are we going to get through it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, uh, that'll be interesting. But but what we, what we did say was because we have to do that. We said we got to pick another movie that's going to be fun, uh, something just that we can end on a, on a lighter note, something we can watch after Terms of Endearment so we don't want to go just cry in a corner somewhere and i guess what we landed on was demolition man um which is is i i think a good palate cleanser for anything i mean love it or hate it that's that's a good movie to put on after after terms of endearment or or any such film and you said something recently about how you hadn't seen it in a long time and you weren't even sure that you really liked it when you saw it so i said that's nuts what's wrong with you (laughs) that's yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's nuts what's wrong with you we need to remedy that <laughs> no no peter we've uh we've come a long way during this podcast where i've you know you've, you've surprised oh, me a lot on certain things and sometimes sometimes not always for the better but uh, a lot of times <laughs> like last week we did sleep away camp and I, I was like oh yeah. man peter's gonna fucking hate this and <laughs> and i was treading lightly until i realized that we were both on the same page I was yeah. like, well look at that so uh enjoyed the yeah. shit out of it right so uh, we'll start with Terms of Endearment because that's really the only 1983 movie we're doing. I don't think we need to give yep. Demolition Man the <laughs> the, uh, uh, the top the billing. The 83 treatment, right. <laughs> right. And you, you wanted to talk a little bit about Training Day, which I guess that's even more recent than more Demolition abstract. Man. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we can we can save that for the end. You said to me, uh, hey, I was watching Training Day. Uh, this movie fucks so hard, or however you phrase it. And I said, I mm-hmm. only saw it. 20 years ago i wasn't really that huge of a fan and i haven't seen it since so i don't have a whole lot to say about it but i can certainly give you my um 2002 review or, or whatever sure. remember of it um, sure so yeah this should be a this should be an interesting episode thoughts terms of endearment james l brooks i had uh, i had never seen this movie before either and very much similar to you i just thought Oh, this is a movie where she's just, this is a movie about a, a girl dying and all the depressing shit that go. And I knew there was a scene where the yeah. kids, where there was a kid crying and I'm like, well, I'd rather. Having to say goodbye to her. Yeah. yeah. Right. Who wants to I'd watch that? Yeah. <laughs> masturbate with sandpaper than fucking watch <laughs> something like this. Right. Now, <laughs> that being said, um, I did, I did come away with this very surprised. Uh, not even mildly surprised, very surprised. Now, I've seen best pictures before that I thought were awesome and well worth it, and I've seen best pictures that I thought sucked and people love them, and I'm just curious as to what goes on in their brains. But this uh-huh. one, this one, I'd have to, I'd have to agree with it winning best picture. Now I know, now I know that there's a lot of formula that sometimes goes into that, especially back in the day there was especially more so if you if you can get the if you can hit at those emotional spots in the in the viewing audience you're gonna and do it well but this movie has so much more to that and and we'll get into it but i i was i was very very surprised with what i thought of this movie it was not it was not depressing at all i 
I welled up once. I thought I was just going to full on cry at this movie. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert. I am a crier at movies. Uh, but this yeah. one, I only welled up briefly and, and the rest of the time I was, I was really enjoying it. So, yeah. And I really am not, I don't tend to cry at movies. I, I get, I get a little choked up. I feel the emotion sometimes maybe a little misty or whatever, but even the movies I consider my, uh, you know, ultimate dramatic masterpiece, whatever, um, I'm just, I'm not a crier. It doesn't come like porn out of me or anything like sure. that. And it's, it's not yeah. a, it's not a alpha male. Don't want anybody to see me cry thing. It's just, it, it doesn't just doesn't do that out of me. Yeah. Right. We've, we've had this conversation before, even when, uh, you know, happiest days of my lives or saddest days, you know, my, my dad died, my grandpa died. I, I have had kids, um, mm-hmm. been married. I just, other than, uh, you know, a little, little choked up, a little misty, little, whatever, uh, there's, there's not tears streaming. Um, it just, not a crier. Couldn't tell you the last time I cried. Uh, and I don't know, maybe that's not a good thing. Uh, maybe there's probably some cathartic emotional release I'm missing, but it's not like I'm holding it in. It's not like, Oh, I can't do right. In fact, I remember, you remember when Jimmy Smith's died in OAPD boys, like if anything's gonna make me cry, it's this. And that, that was pretty good. I remember like watching that over and over again. I was like, uh, let, let, just okay fuck fucking just do it rod like fucking cry like this this scene chokes you up all the time it always gets you it always makes you feel kind of like your 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 lips yeah. trembling you're on the on the precipice of this let it out man and it just did it, it never happened. and it just you doesn't know? happen yeah. just a <laughs> little little bit of a, a a tear almost like if you hold your eyes open too long you know a little burning <laughs> sensation or whatever yeah. happens and, and you get a little little water there but uh that's it. There's and that's who I'm, I'm you never are. gonna be I'm never gonna be blubbering. Well, I don't I don't wanna be that it's not like I'm sure. tough. But there's, like, cool. there's nothing like, wrong with it, I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with no, it. No, I it's, I know yeah. there's nothing wrong with it, but there's also, you know, I think it's more thought of as like, oh guys don't cry, and like people are gonna be like, there's mm. something wrong with that. So when I say I don't cry, people are like, Oh, you're you're just such a male such a hard ass, fucking... yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's that's not it at all. I've literally tried to make myself cry and I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I cry pretty much every day at something. So it's uh, really. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean I it's never. Yeah, it's never like a. Uh, it's never like a full on blubbering mess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, no, I I, 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 I get that. I once heard there was a coach named Jim Valvano who was a coach for uh, a college basketball coach for North Carolina State, and he had cancer, and he uh, started this foundation. Long story short, he gave this speech kind of four months before he died, and he said, if you can have a good laugh and a good cry during the day, you've had a good day. And I'm like, that's yeah. not for everyone, but that, you know, that that sure. those words resonated with me because it's like you're just kind of getting in touch with who you are, but it's never forced. It's just it's just kind of who I am and how some people yeah. are, you know. No, I totally, I get that. And like I said, there's times where I maybe wish I could kind of let that stuff out, but it just doesn't come. There's, there's things that move me, um, music and, uh, you know, particularly at concerts and things like that, where I'm, I'm really engaged and into it and, and whatever it is, but it, it just, like I said, at most, it's kind of a misty, maybe a single tear, whatever it is. I, I don't, I don't, uh, it just doesn't, it it never comes, comes flowing out of me that way. And um that again i'm not worried about it or anything per se but <laughs> no, uh, but i'm also i'm also not trying to to grandstand on that yeah. like if, if it would happen naturally i'd let it happen I, you know i'm not trying to front right. or be anybody's hero or anything like that but um 
But anyway, uh, I'm curious to hear you talk about this movie uh, because you already kind of, I don't want to say spoiled it, but you, you, you right. led with your, it. Yeah. your heart here that uh, you, you really do it. I don't know how I feel about this movie. And maybe you'll, uh, I, I, I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think it's a, a great movie. I don't know that it's a movie that I'm like, oh yeah, that 100% deserved to win the Oscar. Although I'm thinking about 83 <laughs> movies we've watched so far. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm not even knocking them, but the movies I would put up for an Oscar this year are not the ones that are going to get nominated anyway. So, uh, you know, right. that's... <laughs> so, Terms of Endearment. Oh, well, I'll save it for a sec in a second, but I'm afraid I'm going to forget because I didn't actually write it down. But remind me to talk about the cinematographer of this movie at some point. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. <laughs> I will help you remember. <laughs> okay. Uh, this movie uh, opened on November 23rd. 23rd, yeah, 19th. I said 28th. That was incorrect. Yeah. That's That would make sense, because last week was uh, 14th, right? So seven days right. later. This movie opened November 23rd of 1983 in, in limited release. It went wide December 9th, okay? So um, any box office we talk about at the end of this, which I have not looked up, by the way. I also did not look it up for Demolition Man. I don't know which of us is going to do what, but I haven't. Right, looked I looked either up one. either. Yeah. I have a general idea of what both of them made and uh, I'm, you know, kind of assuming where they rank and, and all that, but I, I have no idea and I have no idea what their competition is. So anyway, uh, Terms of Endearment opened November 23rd, 1983, limited release, went wide December 9th. James L. Brooks, he is the writer, director, producer of this film. This movie, it is the number two movie of 1983 behind only Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Wow. Um, box office wise? Yes. That means this cancer dramedy was more popular and more beloved, at least at the time. Uh, and it grossed more than, think of this, Flashdance, which is a movie that's been in our top 10 discussion for the entire year. Whenever yeah. it came out, April or something like that. Mr. Mom, which uh, starts slow and just hangs around forever. We kept talking about it. You got these seminal classics, Vacation, A Christmas Story, um, huge hits, Octopussy, Trading Places, uh, shit like Scarface, cult hit shit. You got the big chill, this uh, uh, generational ensemble comedy that has endured. And, and we talked about all these movies on the podcast. Uh, Scarface is coming up. But it made more money than all that. And it's the only other movie besides Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, to break $100 million at the box office this year. So all these other movies, even A Christmas Story, even Flashdance, all that did not hit $100 million. It's It's this in Star Wars. Now, wow. today, <laughs> that would be like some Marvel movie and, uh, you know, say some shit like She Came to Me being number two. And you and most everybody else listening to this probably don't even know what the fuck that movie is that I just referenced. Is I mean, that it's the just, Jennifer Lawrence? Uh, no. No, I'm, no. It's, it's like a you know fucking romantic dramedy yeah. thing about. I, I don't even know what it's. I've never seen it. That, that's my point. It'd be like, it'd be like that that movie being second to whatever the the big special effects thing is, sure. and then and then nothing else even coming close. Right. That. That's sort of where we're at with this. And that said, even in 1983, there were plenty of, you know, wannabe adult dramedies that didn't connect or are completely forgotten. This one has a lot of big stars. It got glowing reviews, which I'm sure all helped it. 
but still it's insane to me that this is the number two movie of this year with all these big movies that have gone on to become generational classics and, and things like that. It's just, it's, uh, it's wild, man. It is um, wild. It would never happen uh, today. No. And it's also Brooks's first film and he won three Oscars for it. I mean, talk about yeah. charging out of the, the fucking gate. He starts, Brooks starts as an usher at CBS and eventually he gets to write for the news. Now, side note here, I love these fucking scene missing uh, gaps in guys' uh, stories all the time. Like, I worked in the mailroom and uh, finally they let me trade some stocks or whatever, you know, like shit like that. Right. You always hear this stuff about, oh, I started out, uh, you know, just getting coffee for David Geffen. And next thing I know, I'm the producer on uh, the goddamn Nirvana album or some shit. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's like a little gap somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Always. Now, granted, I've never had a showbiz job, but uh, there, there are so many stories like this where, like I said, somebody's just, just fetching coffee. They're in the mail room. There are some intern, and, and yeah, I get it. It's kind of who you know and where you're at. And all these people probably do. They are artistic types who want to get into that. But but it's always like, oh, they just put me in as a demo or, or uh, sorry, they put me in as an extra and, and the rest is history. And I guess it happens um, or, or maybe happens. I, I assume it's different now. Like every job and every career seems to be harder to, to get into and break into. Never mind just climbing the ladder at any job. But uh, yeah, he's, he's one of those guys who, who's just like, I started out in CBS mailroom and next thing I know, I'm writing for the news and producing shows and stuff. So yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, he moves to LA. He works on some documentaries. Uh, in 1965, he gets a job as a writer on the comedy series My Mother the Car, which I've never seen. And it's literally what the title says. Uh, a man's dead mom is reincarnated as a car. Uh, get it? Reincarnated? I, yeah, I've seen it. It's it's as bad as it sounds. <laughs> is it? I never saw it. Yeah, oh, but only, it, it must be. It only lasts one season. Um, but you know, he's he's in the door and begins writing for several shows and is eventually hired by uh, uh, Grant Tinker and along with Alan Burns to create the Mary Tyler Moore Show in 1970. But nuts that he he just he got that out of out of nowhere. But anyway, that that yeah. show is a huge hit. He and Burns then do two successful spinoff series, Rhoda and Lou Grant. Which uh, you ever see any of these? I, I I'm aware of them through the the right. Zeitgeist. I've seen Rhoda. I, yeah. Not Lou Grant, but yeah, wrote, I I enjoyed Rhoda from what I saw of it. Julie Kavner's okay. on there. Yep. Well, I remember them, you know, existing or at least hearing about them, but. Uh, I, I only really remember Mary Tyler Moore show and, and I watched that a ton. I mean, it, it in reruns, obviously I wasn't ever, or I wasn't even born when it came out, but it was popular oh, it was and everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. 15, 20 years later, mid to late eighties. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it was among a handful of older shows. A, a lot of them even older, like fifties uh, and sixties shit, like leave it to beaver and my three sons and I dream a genie and green acres and, Gilligan's Island, all that shit, all these just things I remember watching at, at when I was homesick from school or, or some shit like that. Uh, it was, yeah. So Mary Tyler Moore show was definitely in my periphery at, at the very least, but and, and it's stuff my parents watched in, in their childhood. And, and then I would watch like early mornings or midday reruns or whatever it was. 
or in the middle of the night. And I know a lot of our generation would say they watch this stuff on like Nick at night, but I never had cable as a kid. So, right. Um, I was channel I caught, 24. Yeah. I caught it on whatever like UHF station, 18 or 24 here in Milwaukee uh, would, would show this. Uh, yeah. And there, there was seventies and early eighties stuff too, like three's company and TJ hooker and uh, Mary Tyler, Mary Tyler Moore is, is one I eventually saw every episode of, you know, multiple times and everybody was so fucking good on that show, but I always got it confused with the Carol Burnett show, which uh, started <laughs> like three years earlier and, and ran roughly the same amount of time. Uh, yep. But that had, you know, Harvey Corman and Tim Conway and Vicki Lawrence, even Dick Van Dyke, who replaced Corman. But anyway, an amazing time for TV comedy, which would uh, continue into the 80s. And, and Brooks was right there uh, at the forefront of, of all that stuff. And um, I'm still you know, only about eight, you know, in his late 30s at this point. He'd already yeah, it already accomplished quite a bit at this point. So I, I'm big kudos to that. Yeah, he founded Gracie Films in 1986, and then in 87, uh, he came out as a producer of The Tracy Allman Show, a, a primetime sketch comedy show, kind of like uh, Carol Burnett. Um, and this was on the fledgling Fox Network. Uh, they started in 1987, which I literally remember. I remember Mary Tyler Moore, It's Gary Shandling Show, Married with Children. There was a show called Werewolf. Uh, and maybe like Star Trek, the next generation, 21 jump street. Anyway, all these things were like, yeah, Fox was I'm only lucky. on a couple, couple nights a week. They had like Thursday and Sunday or something. It's something that would like come on, on, you know, channel 24, 18 or whatever affiliate they would like take over for a four hour block, uh, just yeah. a couple nights a week. And that's, that's all they had. Anyway, uh, the Tracy Ullman show was hilarious and uh, it's maybe most notable for its animated shorts featuring a little family we like to call the Simpsons. Um, it's unfortunate that went nowhere, and no one knows what that is today. <laughs> it's 36 years later, still yeah. on TV. Probably the biggest TV moneymaker of all time. I mean, it's got to be. I, di- I didn't look it up, but, uh, but, but I mean, Brooks has to be maybe the biggest, uh, just, just off of TV residuals like I, I again i didn't look it up but i mean forget even ratings and advertising but merchandising it's through the roof for almost yeah. 40 years he he has to be among the the richest creators producers just for for that alone not to mention everything else he's done um and he did and we decided well we didn't talk about this much but he probably did seven movies as a director which isn't yeah. very much and two of them won best picture so that's a pretty good percentage too that's just adds to his fucking resume yeah he's one of those guys who really kind of ebbed and flows he's got some some great stuff and some flops and whatever but uh, anyway backing up he he leaves mary tyler moore in 78 to co-create taxi which was another huge hit i remember seeing as a kid and uh watching but uh it's funny he it, it it's it's a beloved cultural sitcom and touchstone and all that but uh and he he got a lot of acclaim in emmy awards but it was canceled twice uh, oh i didn't <laughs> even, know that yeah even though they had enough episodes in the bank to make it one of those shows i was just talking about a, a while ago that i'd i'd see every episode of in syndication as a kid yeah um, love that so. show yeah me too and uh, danny devito obviously is is a big star in that and he pops up in, in the movie we're talking about tonight uh he moves into feature film work in 1979 he writes and co-produces um starting over starring burt reynolds jay jay jill claybar and Br- uh, god fuck me <laughs> and candace bergen 
I've never seen it. it no, nope, me neither. It has good but kind of middling reviews, but it made $35.6 million on a $10 million budget, uh, so it was a hit. And uh, Kleber and Bergen, they get Oscar noms for it. Next, he writes, produces, and directs Terms of Endearment, which, uh, as we said, is a huge hit. Second biggest film of 83. And Brooks wins Oscars for all three of his roles. Uh, so you said you hadn't seen it up till now. You obviously said you enjoyed it. I, Once again, I don't know where I found this, this film, but... Yes, as we said, the big takeaway was, you know, this is the the cancer movie and and all that. Um, I I don't know. I I've, I'm happy to report this movie is not that. It's it's crazy how how tossed off almost or, or tacked on the cancer thing is in this, and and that sounds callous, and and I don't mean it to be, and it's not a criticism, uh, but this really is kind of just an episodic film that just follows yeah. a mother and daughter through the ups and downs of their life. And they're, they're kind of a weird, but loving relationship and has an unusual tone and vibe for this type of movie. It, it ultimately, it's kind of refreshing. It, it takes, takes on all these themes and, and it's not like beaches or stepmom where it's building to the, the tragedy or drags it out for the last half of the movie or whatever. Um, I'm not saying yeah. it's perfect or, or I even know how, again, how I actually fall on it, but you know, it's, it's not, it's not a cancer movie. That's, it's, that's a well, very exactly. small part of this. I was going to say, I think the, the, around the, I'd say probably a half hour left in the movie is when they introduced that storyline. So if you want to put it into fourths, it's the final, it's the final quarter of the movie or, you know, yeah. so, but, but that being said, none of the characters were were like the movies you like you said like beaches or stepmom or uh steel magnolias even which is another shirley mclean movie this sure. this movie what i what i really love about it and i'll just come right out and say it now is what i love is the is the characters i think the characters are all they're all flawed they're all quirky even to her final minutes deborah winger is is still kind of a spazzy girl and kind of like yep. just She's who she is, and and Shirley is the same way. And uh, Nicholson and, and Daniels are such good little extra parts of this movie. I that's what I, that's what is is my biggest takeaway of this movie was how well the characters played out yeah. in terms of likability and just relatability. No, I agree. The writing, and and this is to Brooks's credit, um, is like you said. It, it's not just that it's quirky, although it is. Um, it's it's a different movie than you'd expect or or may have seen before if you just hear the general plot synopsis of this and think you know yeah. what's going to happen going in and how everybody's going to act and react. Um, I really do like the way all these people have their personality and that follows them through the movie. And now. I say that as if, well, duh, everybody's got their personality. They're going to be who they are. But that's not how movies are. Everything in a in a typical movie happens, and then that that gives somebody a reaction or changes yes. how they act or whatever it is. But everybody in this movie stays who they are throughout this entire movie, which is a very refreshing, interesting take on yep. things. Like I said, it's just kind of an episodic snapshot of these lives. And it's weird how fucking fast Brooks... Like, you, you have to... He's he's expecting the audience to do some some work here, or maybe not do some work, but he's not going to do things like give you a title card that says two years later or six years yeah. later or whatever. Like you're you're expected to know 
based on the fact that the kids are bigger or that somebody's looking a little older or whatever it is that we've we've moved on. There's a scene in this movie where Shirley MacLaine, who plays uh, Deborah Winger's mother, I, I guess at some point we have to do a plot synopsis, so we should back up. But uh, let me I'll get this out and then you can yeah. lead us through this. But there's a scene where Jack Nicholson, who is the next door neighbor of Shirley MacLaine, who's kind of a sexually repressed, uh, you know, she spent her whole life just raising Deborah Winger, worrying about her, whatever else, doesn't really know how to have relationships. She's got these three suitors, including Danny DeVito, who are just kind of like hanging around all the time that she just kind of <laughs> uh, apparently humors and keeps around and has dinner with and shit, but won't ever let any of them actually do anything with her, which is, which is, I guess, funny. Uh, but um, so anyway, Jack Nicholson lives next door. He's an astronaut. His character's insane, too. He's he's an astronaut who apparently just, just flew once or, or only did it for a short period of time. He's retired, and he spends all his time just kind of reminiscing how cool it is that he's an astronaut. Like, that's his identity. It's what he uses to get yeah. chicks. He's a philanderer. He just says... Anyway, but he sees something in Shirley MacLaine, and maybe it's just the fact she resists him, and, and he's just the kind of guy who's out to get laid by whoever or whatever. But yeah. yeah, but because she won't do anything with him she keeps you know or he keeps coming back to her and anyway there's a scene where he asks her out and she says no and then we cut to maybe 10 minutes later and she goes up to him and she says hey remember when you asked me out uh, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to take you up on it and he's like that was like six years ago yeah <laughs> and he's like that's right this movie time jumped <laughs> <laughs> six years and yep. they, they apparently haven't said a word to each other or maybe they have or whatever it was but it they haven't had any meaningful interaction in that amount of time so it's that kind of movie it jumps around it, it goes through their lives very quickly um and and hits all the the notes until it, it comes to this point where both of these women it's really following both of them it's deborah winger's story obviously and she's got the bigger stuff going on but it's also about cheryl mclean as her mom yeah. who was overprotective of her as a as a child doesn't really know what to do now that her daughter's kind of flown the coop and um, Deborah Winger's got this kind of messed up life with her husband, Jeff Daniels, who isn't quite the man she wants him to be either uh, in terms of his career, uh, supporting them financially. He's also kind of a philanderer. There's a, a thought that he's cheating on her, although it's not really known, at least not until it, it is. Um, right. But it's, it's just these two women as their lives first start out together and then how they dissect, but then the parallel paths they take. And I thought that was a really interesting and cool way to go about telling this story. And the people yeah. like Nicholson, the people like Jeff Daniels, they don't, they don't change. There's not some big epiphany at some point in this movie where they all go, uh, it's not Jack going, uh, you make me want to be a better man and, and, yes, and trying exactly. to, to wrestle with this, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's what's so great about this movie. It's such just an honest little snapshot of uh, life. Um, you yes. get some characters coming in and out. John Lithgow's in this movie. It's just, yeah, it's 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 really as if you're kind of eavesdropping on these people's lives throughout the years. So. Yep. Faults and all, right? It's never. Yeah. Yep. And there's it's not some easy solution or, right. or anything like that. Yep. Even the way she finds out she has cancer. She's just at the doctor one day getting a flu shot. And he's like, what's up with these lumps on your arm? She's like, I don't know. I haven't had time to pay attention to my arms. Or, you know, whatever she right. says. She's a yep. kind of put upon mom of three. And and the next thing you know, she has cancer. And then next thing you know, we're, we're building to the end where she's dying. And it happens. And, uh, you know, people's lives go on. And it's just, it's a it's a really 
yeah. odd in a good way uh, film uh, yeah. to, to tackle all that. So <clears throat> that's that's exactly what I loved about it. That's my favorite aspect of it was it didn't it didn't play to any of the stereotypical endings or even middle plots of movies you've seen. I, the story's been told, of course, in other movies, but just yeah. the execution of this is is what what really drew me out is how different it was, and I like that. Yeah, and people uh, fighting with their mom or yep. uh, having kids they they don't know how to deal with, or a husband who's cheating on them, or you know, meeting somebody and, and you don't know how to give yourself to them, and all these things are are. Th- that on by itself or on its face is not super original or interesting, but yeah. uh, the way the film sort of portrays it as just a, a day in the life is is much more enthralling than trying to make some big dramatic, uh, you know, show out of it. So, right. uh, so I appreciated that. I did. Um, that said, I guess you could make the argument: do, what what does it? matter what does it all mean um do you are you entertained enough by this two plus hour movie to to care enough about these characters and ultimately i think yes i just i when i i i didn't not like this movie i was never it wasn't a question of whether or not i like this but like if you were to like oh do you like terms of endearment would you give it a positive review or a thumbs up sure yes yeah. it, it's there's i can't say anything bad about this movie best picture um blown away surprised by how much i loved it that's i guess a, a bit of a different story for me but but the more we talk about it as as often happens i, I think it is a um it, it's got something going for it that a lot of sure. other movies don't so that's yeah and that's that's my biggest takeaway i'm not i'm not ready to <laughs> even anoint it you know my favorite film of of 83 by any means it's it's just yeah. i think it was worthy of its of its accolades, especially considering what the what the voters were looking for, or still sometimes sure. look for. Sure. Well, it's a little. You could argue that it's ballsy that it won. I mean, I know it's got all the hallmarks there, right? You got big stars. Uh, yeah. You got emotional plot thread. You've yep. got what would be considered real life issues and things like that. It's a tearjerker to whatever degree. So yeah, it's not it's not surprising, I guess, that it took off in that manner. But like I said, there's a ton of movies. Maybe maybe not as much in 1983. I don't know. We we cherry picked the movies we did. I don't even know how many other movies that might have come out that year that would have been considered Oscar bait or sure. or tearjerkers. Or, uh, how many of them in in the list of the ones we didn't do were maybe positioned to be some sort of you know check it out. We're at this deep drama about disease or dying or, or whatever it is like so big chill with the big chill i tend to draw a comparison to because you have the big cast you mm. have an ensemble and it's more adult themed and obviously doesn't it doesn't have the emotional ring yeah to it but uh <clears throat> that that's probably another one that was i'm glad you brought it up because that's what i was thinking too i was thinking this movie is got a lot in common with the big chill it's just the big chill is is much more, um, I guess, reflective. You know, these people yes. are already at a point in their lives where they're looking back and all this, whereas this movie, you're following them going they're through all the shit period. they would yep. talk about in the big chill. The big point. chill is kind of like what, what happens after this woman dies, right? And then all her yeah. friends get together or something and, and go through it. But yeah, they're they're kind of a, a horse apiece, you know, or, or a piece of 
each other. Or I don't, I don't right. know what the phrases that I'm looking for here, but similar yeah. themes. Well, not just that, but they they feel akin, you know. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like so. Uh, all right, I don't. Uh, okay, Demolition <laughs> Man. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I mentioned like some of the characters and some of the stuff that goes on, but I gave a real broad strokes thing. I don't know if you want to like kind of take us through how it. If you had sure, something I'll... written down, you're itching to to share. I didn't want to take over, so. Oh no, you're good. So the movie <clears throat> starts with uh, with Shirley MacLaine as Aurora and her daughter Emma, who's you know at the beginning of the film probably about eight or nine years old, and the the father passes away. You could see early on they show some scenes when actually before that. Where Emma's that funny baby. scene where she's a baby and she's yeah. flipping out, then, thinking that then I just skipped. <laughs> she right died. Over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know you're good. That's that's like two minutes. Hey, did you know that's Albert Brooks as the uh, oh the voice father, or husband? Yeah, the voice yeah, of the husband. I did not know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's you know she's a very worrisome mother and very protective, but she's also super quirky. So she does a lot of shit her own way, and. The father dies, and they're living in Houston in a pretty nice home, but it's just the two of them. Um, you kind of fast forward to her teenage years. Uh, she has a friend, her and her best friend, who who kind of stay together through the years and form a, a very tight friendship. Even Patsy's like, I don't really want to hang out with your mom, and... She's like, I know, I, I wish it wasn't like this, but I wish my mom was nicer to people. <laughs> so even <laughs> everyone everyone knows what a handful that Aurora can be. And eventually you kind of go even a couple of years in and she meets a uh, she meets a young man played by Jeff Daniels, whose name is, is it Flap? Yep. <laughs> Flap, yeah. <laughs> Flap, Flap and, uh, and Emma get married. They don't have any money at all. Uh, he's kind of and Shirley MacLaine does not like Flap. She, she doesn't yeah, want them to get married. And yep. Flap is kind of a you know, as his name would suggest, he's a kind of just <laughs> kind of a doofus. You know, yeah, he's not not a bad guy. He doesn't seem like he's he right. wants to be a, a what an English professor, but he seems to just he 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 almost seems to be doing that just because it's a way to it, it's easy for him. You know, he, yes. he's not a Real ambitious guy. Um, he gets to hang around girls. We come to find out he's kind of a womanizer, and um, yeah. he gets he gets to bounce he around gets to from be town away to town, from home. things right. like that. Yep, exactly. He's not much of a father. Even at the end, when they're trying to figure out the uh, Deborah Winger dies, and and he's got these three kids, and everybody's like, "Well, where, where are the kids going to go?" It's not even a question if if Flap is going to. It's their dad, you know. But right. and even he says, "Yeah, it's probably for the best," you know. And he's not a a bad guy like there's no villains in this movie i mean there, there's right. people who have have bad motives or intentions or, or do stupid things but um it's just who they are you know shirley mclean is obviously uh, tortured or wounded to whatever degree that she can't have normal relationships flap again philanderer nicholson's character who we haven't gotten to quite yet but he, same same deal with him um and you know it's just just people being people. Even Deborah Winger is kind of a Baz and a. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I I read something that she was fighting a major cocaine addiction or, or trying to to oh, come off of it. Yeah. Around the time of this movie, um, so some of her wild-eyed, twitchy 
kind of Banner <laughs> performance. Yeah, here yeah. is who knows, but uh, but either way, they, these people all are not just flawed, but they all have have strong personalities that they're not going to overcome. You know, they right. Flap isn't all of a sudden going to be happy with just this domesticated. Uh, stay at home with my three kids and mm-hmm. Shirley McLean is never going to just be good in love and Deborah Winger. Um, well, as much as they make her character seem the most normal and how she, she wants to just have a chill life with her kids and her husband. Uh, there's, there's still something where she feels like she needs something more. And that's why she gravitates to John Lithgow. Uh, I don't know. I'm getting way ahead. Sorry, but no, I'm, I'm no, just that's... saying, uh, to, but to your point that these, these people all are, are, are I, I don't want to say strange. They're just they're people. They're they're flawed yes. people with with personalities that they aren't aren't even trying to overcome, and and probably right. couldn't if they if they tried. I mean, it'd be like you and I trying to change at forty. You know, we're, we're capable yeah. of doing some work on ourselves, but it, it's probably not gonna. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> we're, we're not gonna become yeah. different people at this age. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Or even at 20, probably. So. <laughs> right. I mean, some of that's just, just ground into you. I mean, Shirley MacLaine is certainly the influence on on Deborah Winger. And, you know, and, and as much as they butt heads, they're, they have similarities. And they obviously have this connection that they can't let go. And it's like any kid who goes, oh, I hate my mom or dad for this. But then they, they do the same shit they do. Or, you know, yeah. so it's or they or they can't can't walk away from them or, or leave them and they still love them. And that's just, it, that shit gets into your bones. You know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna overcome that. So. Yeah. And that's the, one of the bigger, <clears throat> another big takeaway for me from this movie was just that, that relationship between winger and, and McLean is, it's so volatile, but at the same time, it's never like, there's a scene where, and I'll, I'll continue on the plot. But yeah, I, it's a I didn't forget about it. You know how that, we roll. Though. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene where um, the mom's like, you know, I I wish we wouldn't fight. And at this point, Deborah Winger's like, you know, I well, I didn't realize we were fighting. This is just this is just how yeah. we are. <laughs> and that yep. uh, even even they don't always fully understand each other, and that's because of their own, you know, that's just because we're people. Yeah, there's a scene where Deborah Winger calls to ask for money or they're going to lose the house. And Shirley McLean makes some comment about, oh, you know, don't ask for money or I can't handle this. And, and she's like, OK, I know I know what it's going to do to you to have to mm-hmm. uh, for me to ask you for money or you'd have to explain why you can't give it. Or I, I forget how she phrases yeah. it, but um, it's just funny how she's she's the one with three kids about to lose her house whatever it is and she's worried about shirley mclean and, and how yeah. she's gonna feel about being asked for you know and and yeah that's real shit i, I don't luckily I haven't had to go to my parents or grandparents or anybody and, and beg for money uh, uh, but i know that if i had to it wouldn't be something i would do lightly i know exactly <laughs> the kind of reaction that would be and how i would right. feel about myself having to do it and um yeah, it's humiliating, kind of. Well, it's not just that, but I mean, it, it, some people have parents who are just handing it out or, or offering it all the time or, yeah. or whatever it is, and um, there's other people who you you really feel like, man, you're you're letting them down, or, or or you know it's gonna gonna be a big deal for them to have to deal with your problems, so you don't want put that on them, and 
uh, or make yourself look bad or, or both. And so those are, those are real things. And I, I thought, I don't, I don't know in real life if somebody would be that outspoken just to say like, okay, 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 okay it's fine. Like, I, I know it's going to hurt you, but I, I, then again, who knows? I, like I said, I've, I've never had to personally do it. And I guess I'm fortunate in that, but I did many a time, unfortunately, <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a youngster. Yeah, but... well, I, I probably should have. There were times where I could have or should have, but uh, I didn't. Yeah, and that's probably the reason why. I mean, that's the that's the thing. You just you even even. Yeah, say say I had those moments at 20 or something. I, I already knew by then I was like, well, and, and it wasn't like spoken. It wasn't like, don't come to me. It's just kind of like, I, you just, I, I don't know. I can't ask my you know, grandparents for money. Like, I'm fucking insane. That's right. Just, it's like okay, off totally the table, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Emma and Flap getting married. They move to Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa, and Des Moines, uh, <laughs> Des Moines, Des Moines. Yeah. Illinois. <laughs> Des Moines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Des Moines, Iowa. <clears throat> he takes mm. a teaching job there. She starts raising kids. I can't remember if she worked at all. I don't think she did. Um, no, she's pretty much a homemaker, but she's got three. Right. Well, I think two as they go, and then another one and on the way. Or they get, they, she gets pregnant as soon, yeah, as soon as she yeah. gets there. And meanwhile, mom is stuck at home alone now. She's an empty nester, like you said, and she's starting to kind of spy, not spy, but just take a, a mild interest in her neighbor, played by Jack Nicholson, who, like we said before, is an astro- was a former astronaut. And yeah they spark up an interest just in talking to each other and realizing they're at a similar age and similar, uh, you know, she, she takes every opportunity to push him away whenever she can. Yeah. As as she's kind of known to be, that's just who she is. And he's taken probably had a lot of things given to him and not had to work too hard. So he sees the challenge and she, she almost, you almost, think like she her she's challenging herself to keep this dude away as long as possible right <clears throat> so the years go on uh emma and flap are getting along not as well he's starting to stay out all night they have a third child like we said during that point is when nicholson comes up to mclean like look we we have a good thing, but it's almost like you want more out of this. He kind of, he just basically breaks up with her. Right. He's like, who dates their neighbor? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> we live right next door to each other. <laughs> and her reaction to that is great. She's just like, uh, okay. You know, this movie doesn't, again, it do, it bucks the trend of the, the shattered, wounded, little bird. Yeah. Uh, I guess yeah. she liked him or whatever, but she's like, okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, she she doesn't need him. And and Deborah Winger, as much as she needs Flap because it's the dad of the kids and and he's supporting her, and making money and everything, she's not getting what she needs from him on any other level. Yeah, so absolutely. that's how she ends up with John Lithgow. And there's that kind of devastating scene at the grocery store, which. I don't know if I remember this happened to my mom, but you know, my parents were divorced. I remember my mom struggling and, and whatnot. And speaking of people who went to her parents for money and stuff, like I know my grandparents helped my mom out, but I don't think they helped her out a ton or a lot. They didn't sure. necessarily make it easy on her, you know, maybe necessity type stuff. But I do remember my mom doing things like um, 
kiting checks if anybody even knows that that is anymore it's where you'd like write a check cash it and it takes a couple of days for it to cash until your bank you get the the next paycheck in or whatever it was yeah um i just remember a lot of you know like hustle on on my mom's part and stuff like that and so um I forgot where I was going with this, but oh, so there's that, that scene, scene at the, the grocery, grocery store, store where, yeah, yeah where she she's got to put stuff back just to get down to the forty bucks or whatever she has in in her wallet, and um, that's a devastating scene. I mean, can you imagine just having a like nickel and dime to the point of I got to put a couple candy bars back, and you know can't give the kid what I want because and and that's not all that original. I think we've seen that. I'm assuming before. I mean, I've seen another stuff. I just like can't sure. remember what it is, so I can't tell you if it's before this movie or not. But things like that. And uh, but yeah, in this movie, it it feels really organic to the to the characters. And this is kind of what it'd be like with a a mom of of three who is struggling financially. And that's that's got to be one of the most embarrassing moments of any parent's life is to get to a grocery store, be in line, have people looking at you. And, and like I said, I think this scene's been kind of rerun through the ringer on various movies and sitcoms and tv dramas and and whatever so maybe it doesn't hit as hard when you see it every single time but in this movie it feels just just like everything else in this movie it feels very real and and very uh uh, organic and lived in and and you can kind of relate unless unless you can't i i don't know sure that's (laughs) but i can i mean it's just right i I don't remember it happening like i said but I, i remember that that fear of we can only get this much stuff or we, we only got this much money and then this is what it's going to buy you and don't go over, you know, and that's, that's a thing, uh, you know? Absolutely. And that, I I don't know if that's, I don't want to say that's why it resonated. It's probably not, it's obviously not the reason Mm -hmm. that it resonated and made so much damn money that it did, but it, that's still stuff like that. People, people got it. People felt it. Yeah. That's a, right. So we're at the yeah. So you're on McLean and Nicholson, kinda. Yeah, they break up. Emma catches Flap uh, flirting with a student on campus. She's been trying to call him, can't get a hold of him. She's been suspicious for a while. She catches him. She decides to leave him, take the kids, move to move back to Houston with mom. Yep. And also, at this point, I gotta say real quick. I'm I'm sure you caught it. There was two scenes where children were in quote unquote car seats yeah. in the front, <laughs> which I know it's 1983 and it's maybe even supposed to be a few years before that, but holy crap, does that yeah. look unsafe? <laughs> I don't ever remember being in a car seat as a kid. And I do remember a story of my grandpa when he said, I was taking you home from, I, I it might have even been when I, that could have been when I was born, but he said, I thought he said the hospital. So I was assuming when I was born, but uh, he, he said, we got into a car accident and I put my arm out to, you know, stop you from hitting the windshield and you like slid <laughs> under it or whatever and like hit the fucking floor. I'm like, this is how we rolled back in the now granted. I'm not a, not a huge fan of all this. Like keep a kid in a car seat till they're 10 or whatever. And like have them right. like rear no, facing either. and shit. Like I right. didn't do that, but, but uh, the, yes, definitely different. <laughs> different shit back then yeah those car seats were terrible they're in the front seat you know front facing whatever <laughs> they looked like All roller the, coaster like yeah seats. yeah just a little harness that went down over yeah. <laughs> made out of nice duct tape muscle. and fucking yeah, duct- yeah foam yeah yeah foam duct tape yep yeah <laughs> 
So she moves back to Houston, and it's at this point shortly thereafter that uh, she realizes that she has cancer, and that pretty much leads us to, you know, that some some McLean kind of obviously being the mother she is just devotes her entire life to yeah. helping to take care and help with the kids and and meanwhile uh Flap is still back in Nebraska until things start getting dire. Comes down, yeah. Yeah, it comes down there. Well, I guess they find out the cancer's terminal and then they decide to to stay with her. Um yeah, Garrett flies to Nebraska to be with Aurora and the family during this. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so then there's kind of the end after she dies where it, th- this is a little hokey to me that uh, then all these people just all sort of come together and, in, you know, the Nicholson. Oh, at the wake. Yeah. 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 And, um, but whatever, it, it makes for a happy ending and there's still neighbors and all that. So whatever ultimately happens with them, uh, you know, I guess they at least have to be good friends. They've been circling each other and being in each other's lives for, I don't, I don't know what the span of this movie is a decade at least. At least. Uh, right. Yeah. I don't know how old that oldest kid is 14 maybe or something. So maybe not. So at least most of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. He, he looked bigger, but if, yeah, if that other kid is, you know, six or seven or eight or something and he's a couple years older so yeah let's say a decade i don't know but um yeah and again the movie doesn't really it's it's not like every couple minutes it's like two years later or or whatever it just it trusts you to kind of do the the heavy lifting there so uh yeah i I guess we got to talk about the nc even though it, it it was not what I thought this movie was going to be going in. That's still the, the big scene of the movie where she kind of fights with her older son in the, the hospital yeah. there. And, you know, he's still harbors all this resentment kind of blaming her for the family being broken and, and all that. And then the young son is just, you know, he's a, he's a puddle and a mess and still loves his mom and everything. And that's a, it's a good scene, but it, it goes so quickly. Uh, I just, the idea I had in my head of this movie was like, this was some, massive moment in this all yeah. i mean from the time she's diagnosed to the time she's died dies it can't be more than i don't know 15 minutes or something and it, maybe I, I didn't i didn't track it but it, it it feels like it goes very quickly and that that scene in the the room with the two kids is a couple minutes a couple um, minutes and, and i was glad yeah. about that because it well right thank god right <laughs> right I know. you don't want to uh, another a, a different movie would have this be you know 10 minutes of yeah just like sobbing and sobbing yes and i had always heard about this scene and honestly i was expecting the worst and like and like you said it went maybe two minutes and i was like oh that's it is there not gonna be another scene (laughs) well like i said it's all it's all i remember about it so Mm -hmm. um yeah but I, I don't, it might just be the only thing I saw too, but I, I do remember it sticking out. There's a couple of movies like that when I was a kid and I couldn't even tell you some of the other names. I remember a, a Jesus movie where they show him getting nailed to the cross and all I remember is that scene because it's so fucking disturbing or whatever. And yeah. it, it's like, and, and who knows, maybe I'd watch that movie now and be like, oh, it's like a 30 second thing and they barely showed anything or whatever, but it, it stuck with me. And this is another one from being maybe six years old, seeing it on TV or whatever. And that, that scene was my entire uh, sort of recollection of this movie. So I assumed it was this 
you know, horribly sad thing. And, and I guess I knew it wasn't the whole movie, but I certainly thought I, I, I had no idea this movie was going to just kind of save all that shit for the end and then just like run through it the way it does. And that's not a knock or a criticism. It's just, right. it, it, it goes through that the way it goes through everything else in this movie. It's like the birth of the kids, the, the cheating, the, the, the next guy and the new guy. And the, it's just, it, yep. we, we didn't even talk about John Lithgow. So we touched and, on him. Yeah. We touched on him briefly. How it, you know, he's well, at we the, brought him up, but we, we kind of yeah. boxed him out of the narrative, I guess. But yeah. So when, uh, she finds flap cheating, uh, she meets John Lithgow at the grocery store. He offers to pay for that. That's the scene I was talking about where she doesn't have the money yep. for the groceries. He offers to help her out. And then um, she has a brief affair with him because he, you know, not because he's super hot or, or anything like that, but he gives her the, the sort of a, the attention emotional, she needs. And, yeah. yeah. The attention. And, and he's really into her and thinks she's beautiful and loves her and all this other stuff. And that's where, where flap is, is not present. Um, either because he's too busy or he's out looking at other chicks or both. He's just, he's just not around. He's not there and all very real shit. And it, it's not always just from a woman's standpoint. You know, there's, there's plenty of guys out there who are just like, well, you know, I love my wife or whatever, but she's just not around. So what, what yeah. the fuck do you think is going to happen? You know? And it's just like, that's right. a, that's a normal, normal thing. And um, yeah, this movie does a really good job of not sugarcoating any of that. doesn't delve into any of it, uh, which I guess you can see as a failing or, or whatever, maybe you want more of it, but this movie's already over two hours long and it's just right. like, it, 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 it is better. Just, it's kind of like the outsider's view of these people's lives as they go through this stuff. It doesn't really get into all the, um, you know, the nuances and nitty gritties of all this. It doesn't sit there and like show all these relationships play out over all these years. I mean, this could have been a five hour movie or, sure, or you're today have divorce if, proceedings. And yeah. All, if yeah. somebody, yeah. Today, if somebody optioned this movie, they'd be like, okay, great. It's a 10 episode series on Netflix. Cool. And then we're going to like, you know, that John Lithgow fucking shit would go on for three episodes and yep. you'd see it rise and fall and, and all that. And it's just, it's unnecessary. I mean, this is just watching life play out yeah. for people and uh you don't you don't need to get bogged down in all that shit because if, if you're an adult and you know what you're watching you you know what this is and how these people feel and yeah and and what life is like and that's that's good enough you know and and, and kudos to brooks for as a writer for recognizing that and i'm guessing there were maybe studio notes that were kind of like man what are you like you're just like <laughs> burning through all this shit. Like what's going yeah. on? And uh, like, where's, where's some more like big emotional payoff and uh, big, big Oscar real moments and things like that. But it, it really only boils down to Deborah Winger in those last few minutes. Even that is just as, like I said, kind of tossed off. And again, it's not a criticism. It's just, it's just another thing. Like it's a fact. Like this is what's happening to her. Right. Now she's gone. Bye. And it's like, yep. what? Like, this movie just, <laughs> it's the life of these two women just, Yep, in a, exactly. In a nutshell. So. Did you see um, As Good As It Gets? I did, but I haven't seen it since it came out. Correct. Yeah, or not correct. <laughs> Same. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> right answer, Ron. <laughs> it's funny if you're like, wrong. It's like, uh, wait, did I see it again? <laughs> like, yeah, we watched it when we lived together. <laughs> yeah. I saw it once. It was quite unmemorable. But yeah, same. I don't know how I got so much acclaim. But yeah, I was a cynical young dude then. Maybe I'd really like it now. I don't know. But yeah. yeah, I mean, the and apparently there's a sequel to this movie. Yep. 
I don't. Did you have that in your notes? I'm, I'm aware of it. I didn't really okay. look into it too much, but it's called An Evening Star. Remember when it came out in 1996? Look at um, you. I don't even need to research. Yeah. Well, I just. <laughs> um, McLean's in it. Bill Paxton. I remember a scene of them driving on the beach. A la, well, we didn't mention that Jack Nicholson and the, the kind of the big, uh, the one cinematic scene in this movie is where Shirley McLean and Jack Nicholson drive on the beach in his Mercedes convertible and. I don't know how they ended up driving it home because she drives it into the water and completely fucks it up. But right. let's talk about Jack in this movie. Jack yes, like, does to. not does not care about pushing the belly out and all that stuff. Uh, so that's one thing I did want to mention. Garrett Breedlove. Uh, yeah. Brooks wrote the supporting role of uh, Garrett Breedlove for Burt Reynolds, who turned down the role because of a verbal commitment he had made to appear in Stroker Ace. There are no okay. awards in Hollywood for being an idiot, Reynolds later said of the decision. Harrison Ford <laughs> and Paul Newman also turned down the role. So Jack comes in. Now, Jack's a big star at this point. I don't know. He's he's off his 70s, you know, one floor of a cuckoo's nest, Chinatown kind of thing. He's he's yep. a big star, but he's making shit that is he's just doing whatever he wants. He's, he's in a point where he can have five flops in a row. It doesn't seem to matter. He's uh he's already like established himself as an icon, apparently based off. And, and before this, he had the shining. Um, I don't know. If there was anything else that really connected other than the shining. That was 1980. So right. he's got shining cuckoo's nest, Chinatown. Um, am I leaving something out? Mm, well, I mean, I know he's an easy rider, but that was that was kind of like his breakout role, wasn't it? Sure. So yeah, I'm talking like leading man, Jack. Leading uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he takes this role, and you know, he's out there with his belly kind of hanging out and stuff, and he's not that. Now, here's another fucked up thing about this. He's what our age in this movie, maybe even younger. He has to be, right? He's how old is he now? This he's is forty 80. years ago. Yeah, he's 83, I think, now. He is 86. Okay, so he's 43. So he's 46. Yeah. He's a year or two older than us in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around there. When he's filming it, maybe he's 40. Looks at least a decade older than us and doesn't give a shit. You know, he's uh, (laughs) just like, oh, that's an interesting role, James L. Brooks. Thanks. Fine. Great. Good. Here I go. And uh, Uh (laughs) yeah. Whips his shirt off. Doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> maybe maybe he gained weight. Who knows? I don't know. And this is this is pre like cool Jack, right? So it's pre Batman, Witches of Eastwick, pre my sunglasses at the Lakers game and the Oscars and shit. Like, well, I don't yep. know. Maybe he wore them to the fucking Oscars in '83. I have no idea. But <laughs> I'm just saying, when we think of Jack the way we think of Jack, I think that's yeah. a like little more mid to late '80s Jack and moving forward. It's just interesting they did this, and you people like uh, you know Harrison Ford or Burt Reynolds are over turning this down, and um, yeah, that's just that's an interesting thing. And and he's great in this movie. He's great in everything. I mean, he's a talented actor. He, he knows what he's doing. He's he's always maybe kind of Jack. That's a criticism. Sure. Got these guys like Denzel or Clint or or all these guys who if if anybody's like, well, I don't like him. You're like, why? And you're like, well, it's not a good actor. I'm like, well, how are they not how a good actor? Not? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I never, you know, it's like, well, okay, well, they have a fucking they're they're a, an icon you fucking idiot so yeah <laughs> you're not gonna be able to separate them all the time but it's how they find roles that maybe turn on that persona and stuff like that which clint has done yeah. a great job of i think jack's done it with uh, as good as it gets and something's got to give and some of these movies similar to that um but back then 40 years ago 
um, he was still looking for ways to capitalize on that, you know, which is a V-Swig, Batman, things like that. Yep. So it's interesting that as a leading man, he was willing to be kind of vulnerable, kind of pudgy, kind of show all that off, uh, balding, whatever it is, at, at 46 or whatever we just said yeah. he was. So, so, yeah, good for him. And that's a great performance. It's a it's a role I don't... I, he, it didn't have to be Jack Nicholson in this role. It could have been fucking Bill Paxton or whoever sure. was the equivalent in the, in the time. I mean, it could have been yeah. any no-name actor, but Brooks lined up a real real stable of talent for this one, and uh, they all, all do great. Jeff Daniels. Uh, John Lithgow got the supporting actor nomination for this movie instead of Jeff Daniels, which I guess kind of pissed Daniels off for a long time, but... Yeah, I don't know if I'd agree with that with that nod either. I mean, uh, Lithgow's in it maybe ten minutes tops, maybe just seven eight minutes total, and Daniels has to carry a lot more. I mean, I would I'd be pissed if I was Daniels too. <laughs> yeah. I think Lithgow's in three or four scenes tops. But Lithgow's so good, you know. I, I don't know. It's hard. To... Oh, he's yeah, he's mag- he's magnetic. He's absolutely magnetic, and I I thought he was great in this, and I. I appreciate it. Well, we talked it. about like, him in, in uh, Ricochet, and we're like, yep. what is it about Lithgow's look? You know, he's 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 so tall. He's got kind of a weird face. He's got a weird hairline. It's like yep. this just giant, but also kind of like a baby face with, with a funny smile. And, t- and, and it lends itself well to a creepy character like Ricochet or Raising Cane or something like that. But when you see him in a movie like this or Harry and the Hendersons or anything where he's trying to be a, a family guy... Yeah, um, he excels at that too somehow, and it's and it's just he's a he's a natural and he's a great actor and all that on top of this fact he filmed this movie in three days on a break from um, Twilight Zone. Shit, what movie was he making it? No, um, Footloose. Oh duh. So he, yeah, it's nuts. He filmed he filmed all these scenes in over three days. Yeah, while he was in on a break from Footloose, it's just. <laughs> Mind blowing. Well, I mean, it's I mean, it's not mind blowing. Like it, it seems like the kind of thing you you could do in a short. Like you said, he's only got fifteen minutes of screen time total, or whatever it is. But uh, right, still, just a guy coming in on his weekend off to <laughs> hang out, make this movie so good. He gets an Oscar nomination for it ahead of uh, the, I guess what would, would be the ostensible male lead of the movie. Um, yeah, he he was. I mean, he was good in the. In the short time, he, like I said before, he has such a presence on the screen. Yeah. Like Danny DeVito's in this movie and has even less lines. And I almost just, it was, it's kind yeah. of a weird thing, but I know he wasn't, I don't think he was doing as much in 83 as he was from 84 on up. Probably yeah. post taxi. Sure. Um, purgatory he was in or whatever. Well, yeah, I think he maybe was on the scene as more of a TV actor and he was slowly working his way into movies and... sure what did you what's your thoughts on mclean i know we've we've touched on it but uh, um, what were your thoughts in on this movie or overall yeah, in this, or in this movie this movie she's good uh i i feel like you know at the end where she's screaming for a shot and all that kind of stuff yes i i get that what you're playing um you're the sure the, hysterical mother you want your daughter to be comfortable all that kind of stuff i'm sure people do this um but her role felt a little more mm, 
I don't know, cliched to me, I guess. She, I, I feel like part of her winning this Oscar, and it's not to take away from the movie or her performance or anything like that, but I think she was kind of due, right? This is one of those sure. where she'd been nominated before. They finally gave it to her, and everybody was happy. Uh, I got nothing against Shirley MacLaine. I don't know if anybody else would have been just as good in this role. I mean, not anybody else, but, you know, sure. it, uh, there's many actresses who probably could have done it. But it's it's hard, you know, 40 years later to look back on something like this. I think she's good. Her character is good. Uh, I don't know if that's more of a credit to Brooks than to her. Yeah, that's a good point. I thought that too. I like her fine. I, I, I don't know. She didn't she didn't blow me away or anything like that, but maybe I'm just... I, I really liked her in this. I I don't even know what all I've seen her in. Uh... Well, two meals for Sister Sarah is her masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> is that Clint? Yeah. She plays a nun. He's a you know, typical Clint cowboy. It's it's a very funny movie. Underrated. Steel Magnolias and Postcards from the Edge are the only ones that are like sticking out to me. <laughs> well, so that's the I thing. Even... Postcards for the Edge is kind of she's kind of playing the same Similar. sort of yeah yeah. So it's a mom, you know, Mil- right. Meryl Streep's the daughter. Uh, but there there's a much more uh cantankerous relationship, and it's much more over the top. But imagine McLean in the hospital in this movie. Um. That's her in Postcards from the Edge for the whole fucking thing. So <laughs> she's good. She's good. She's good in stuff. I, she's good in this. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to bash her, but it, yeah, you know, no, I didn't take ask me the right. question. Did she blow me away or anything like that? I, you know, I don't know. I, can, I guess I can take her leave Shirley MacLaine, but sure. Um, but again, I, I, I'm not. I'm not sitting here going somebody else should have played this part or uh, she didn't deserve the Oscar. Again, I don't know what I would consider the a better best actress. Uh, of right. 1983 based on the movies we've watched so Peter mm-hmm. what would you rate Terms of Endearment out of 4 stars I'm going to give Terms of Endearment 3.5 stars I found it to be a great movie not without its mild flaws but a surprising movie especially from this genre so that's yeah I'd say 3.5 stars yeah, um, I agree. I only have, you know, mild flaws for it. I don't even, I don't even know if there's necessarily flaws. I just, I, if I'm being honest with myself, this isn't a movie I'm going to go throw on again anytime soon. Sure. Um, I'm not going to tell people to rush out and see it. It, it did surprise me that it wasn't the movie I thought it was going to be. I do really like the script. I think James L. Brooks deserves, uh, if nothing else, the the writing Oscar. Um, Definitely. I'm wrestling between three and three and a half, but okay. what the hell? I'll go three and a half just to, just because, it, it, like I said, it surprised me. And uh, obviously the general consensus is it's a four star best picture movie. I don't think that's diminished over the years. Although I don't know, like I said, I don't hear a lot of people saying, uh, Oh, you got to go see terms of endearment or, or, or whatever. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know how well this movie's aged in the general consensus, but I, I certainly don't hear anybody going like, Oh God, that's a, there. There's some movies that win Oscars and got a lot of acclaim way back when. And uh, people, you know, nobody, nobody talks about it anymore. or thinks it's a complete right. baffling decision, how that happened. And um, this isn't one of those. I think it's just sort of kind of quietly aged into the, the ether and yeah. people who doesn't like it. It doesn't have a bunch like of it. quotable lines or anything like that. Yeah, it, it does exactly. have wit to it and humor to it. Sure. But... Yep. It's funny. It's, it's charming. Everybody's good in it. Um, it's it's well made, well written. So okay, three and a half star. You you got right. me. Bump it up. Do you <laughs> do you want to 
uh, I'm going to leave you the choice since you are the founder of the big four. I'm going <laughs> to let you choose if you want the top 10 this week, or if you want me to, if you uh, Peter, get I'm going to let, I'm going to let you choose you. Uh, I always put you through it. So it's, it's right. up to you. I don't know if you are more confident with 1993, although I got to say, I'm curious to see where the, uh, demolition man top 10 ends up, but yeah, um, um I'm going to, I'll give you the top 10 of that. Well, I'll quiz you on the top 10 of 93. And then you right. can you can do this one. Okay. Let me pull it up. <clears throat> All right, Peter. Are you ready for the top 10 of... Or, sorry. <laughs> are you ready for... <laughs> are you ready for the top 10 of the weekend of November 25th, 1983? I was born ready. <laughs> Okay, our first movie uh, is in its second week of release. Done it for the pod. It was number three last week. It's moved up to number one this week. Uh, well, what did we do besides Sleepaway Camp? Uh, <laughs> if it's only in its second week. Mm -hmm. God, how do I forget things so fucking quickly? Probably because yeah, of weed. I mean, <laughs> yep you're right it was the other movie besides sleepaway camp we only had a whole fucking family uh gathering for it uh, christmas the story podcast. number one <laughs> a christmas story is the number Jesus. one movie second week in release we were shocked at how low it it kind of grossed the week before it was two point something this week it's 3.9 so it's plus 90 percent um it also added a couple theaters, only 50 of them. So word of mouth is helping this one. But I think we said it taps out at something like 90. It doesn't even hit 20. Uh, so right. it, not not a huge hit until years later. Number two is new this week. We did it on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> Terms of endearment. Yep. Uh, it made 3.498, so 3.5 million this weekend. It's up to 4.5, so that uh, other, other two days or whatever that it had. Right. Gave it an extra million and a half. It's making bucks, making good money in limited release. Yep. Number three is a film we've done in the podcast. It's in its ninth week of release. Ooh. Um, it was number two last week. Um, ninth week. Let's put so... it this way: we mentioned it. We mentioned it on this podcast. It's terms of endearment adjacent. Big chill. All right. The big. Chill. I was gonna guess big chill, and then. I got I started thinking risky business. That was like 25 weeks ago. <laughs> All right. Uh, number four uh, was number four the previous week, and it's a Warner Brothers action film starring a big action star in a iconic action role. It's a bit outside of that franchise. It's made 48.5 million bucks so far. 2.5 this weekend. Still at number four, hanging around. I want to say both of these last weekends, the, the number one movie last week was 2.4 million bucks or something. And Christmas Story and everything else came in behind it. So Yeah. Shit. What the... F Including this one. Warner Brothers action movie with a big action hero. We well, he's not necessarily movie. just an action hero, but he he's started out, sure. or his biggest role is as an action hero. Um, he, It's a franchise film, but this one exists a little bit outside the franchise. That's like oh. the best clue I can give you. 
Yeah, and if I can't get that, that's kind of pathetic. You last week when I when you quizzed me, I just gave it to you as an action film. Or you gave it to me as an action film. It's just a straight up action film. You know, like this is an action movie. Uh it's it's uh whatever it was then eighth week in release. Um yeah. and, and Warner Brothers maybe Well, you didn't say that, but Yeah. Is it Stallone? Um, no, we didn't have any Stallone. No. Uh, oh, uh never say never again. Correct. <laughs> Woo. Same place as last week. Um, number four. All right. It made, you know, it, it went up 38%. So not sure what's going on this weekend. More people watching movies because of uh, the holidays, I guess. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five was number one the previous week. So it was what you just told me. I was paying attention one minute ago. Mm, I didn't tell you because I knew oh. it was coming up. <laughs> so what I said a minute ago was I assumed the Christmas story would be number one. And then you said, no, it's this movie. And I said, okay, well, Christmas story has got to be number two. But then the big chill made just, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars more or whatever than a Christmas story and snuck in there yeah. at number two. So it was this movie, big chill, Christmas story last week. This week is a Christmas story, Terms of Endearment, Big Chill, Never Seen Ever Again, and, and then this movie. And then this movie, movie and what week, what week is it in? Number two. Oh, it's only in the second week. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a horror film. Sleepaway Camp. No. Uh, you think Sleepaway Camp was the number one movie last week? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. Um, <laughs> it's a horror movie in Although, the second week. All hail Sleepaway Camp. I gotta say, the more I think about that movie, the more I like that. <laughs> I did too. The movie's great. So we must not have did it if it's only in its second week. We didn't do it on the pod. Um. All right, I give up. Can you just hear me fucking chewing right now, or no? Uh, not really. I can hear you. I mean, I can hear you talking with food in your mouth, but not. I can't hear the. <laughs> ch- I can't hear. Th- I'm not saying that's bothering me. I'm saying I can't let hear me just, you. I, I'm just, let me get it all out of the way. Hold on. Okay. All right. It's done after this fight. Okay. What is the <clears> horror <throat> movie that'd be number one that we didn't fucking do? Well, last week we had the option of doing a Christmas story, um, sleepaway camp, and this other one. And this we didn't other do one? it. Mm-hmm. And it was it's number, number one. three in the franchise. It's a 3D also. Yeah, it's uh see and I was yeah, it's not creep show. It's um it's the Amityville 3D. Amityville 3D. Yes. yes. Your 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 hint to me for that one last week was it's an Orion Pictures release. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you just were probably like Amityville. <laughs> well, God. I just knew what other movies you said it's new and I knew what else yeah. we were, didn't do for the pod, so <laughs> Uh, here's another one that, if you remember our conversation last week, uh, this movie was bouncing around the the top, I don't know, like 70 for a while. Uh-huh. And it's been in, in release eight weeks now, and it's now up to number six. It moved up. It was at number eight last week, and now moved up to number six. It's plus 39%. It's only at $3.389 million. It made another 1.6 this weekend, but I'm it's not, not sure why it's climbing. Yeah, it's not fucking Smurfs and the Magic Flute, is it? It is 100% Smurfs and the Magic Flute. Number six. It's climbing the charts. Oh my god. 
Why the I magic flute? I don't think I've ever even seen that. I used to like Smurfs too, and I never. I did too. This isn't even yeah, on my radar. I hadn't even heard of that movie. And I bought the kids some dumb like Smurfs DVDs out of like a you know five dollar bin once upon the a time, action. just as they were. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, like not the new it, shit. Uh, like just yeah, the cartoon, whatever. Just whatever they had. I was like, oh, I yep. like the Smurfs when I was a kid. Here, my kids are four, or whatever they were at the time. Let them watch this, and um, they didn't give a shit about it, but. You tried. I always liked the Smurfs. Yeah, I, don't I did know. too. I don't know. I'm just saying. I don't. I don't. Re- okay, God. I don't remember if. Uh, I don't remember if I ever saw this magic flute movie, and I. I don't think it was involved in the uh, DVDs I ever got the kids. So anyway, it's weird that it exists, and it's weird that it's climbing the charts now after. Yeah. Fucking what I say? Eight weeks. Nuts. Number seven is a drama starring uh, the guy who is credited with saving cinema recently. I don't go in for all that shit, but some people do. Oh, credited recently with saving cinema? Mm-hmm. He's our only <laughs> bankable star. Marty, uh, Marty, is it an actor or director? No, it's an actor. Oh, it's, and it's an actor who saved cinema. <laughs> uh, people would like you to believe as much. Um... There's literally nothing else I can say about this. We did it on the pod. I, I don't know. Anything else I give you, you're going to be like, if I tell you what the genre is or what people are doing or who's in it, it's just. You can, can you tell me what week it's in? <laughs> you might have said six. it. I'm... All right. It's in its sixth week and we did it for the podcast. Yeah, it was this... at number six last week. It's dropped to seven. It's only down 1%. All these movies are either climbing or like very low drops. This lead <clears throat> has allegedly saved movies. Uh Just, just think about post-COVID or, or even before that, who is like the only what what we consider bankable star anymore. Like, only guy oh. people are like, I'll go see that movie because he's in it. Tom Hanks. Or he, I mean, he got the no. first name right. <laughs> um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. With with Mission Impossible, so this is risky business. I apologize. Yep. You're right. It's You're not. Right. It's did. not risky business. You dumb shit. Also, it's not just Mission All Impossible. Right. Maverick was the last thing that. <laughs> Besides that, I got it all right. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go. Jesus Christ, uh, Ron. I'm gonna guess all the right moves. <laughs> You're correct. Way to go. <laughs> Holy hell. Um, number eight is a film that I believe we talked about last week. Neither one of us have heard of it. I think you said it was directed by the director of Rocky, John G. Abelson. and Abelson, yeah. yeah. And then uh, there was a surprising amount of stars in this movie, from what I remember. But I might not even be thinking of the right thing here, so I I don't know. But do you remember the title of this one? Wait, it's down twenty seven percent. It's up to Unca- four point. Common Valor is a movie we're still gonna do. Yeah, that's what I guessed when you were trying to give me the <laughs> the clues. And... Uh, no, Neither no, one no, of no. us had heard of this. It's called A Night in Heaven. I'm not even sure if okay. that's the right movie. Uh... Oh, yeah. Christopher Atkins. Oh, you did say, hey, Ron, this movie happens to star Christopher Atkins of Lethal Weapon and Halloween 3 fame or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, oh, sure. And I played along, but... Because I couldn't think of their actual name, but it's Tom Atkins, so that's not this guy. <laughs> Leslie Ann Warren, Andy Christopher? Garcia. Yeah. 
You're like Christopher I'm Atkins looking... of uh, Lethal Weapon. And... <laughs> I'm looking right at the fucker's name and I say that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I think you probably just focused on the... It's an honest yeah. mistake. I just... I was listening yeah. back to it and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that guy's name isn't Christopher. What's his name? <laughs> Good God. I mean, points. Points for trying. Um, yeah. Number nine is... Now, wait a minute. So, Terms of Endearment won the Best Picture Oscar this year? I always thought this won the Best Picture Oscar. Um, We've been Gandhi. referring to it as the Best Picture Oscar winner of this year for since since the beginning <laughs> of the fucking year. Did we do it for the pod? We did not. We decided to skip over it. Sam Shepard. All the right stuff. Yeah. Um, well, it was a box office bomb, grossing about $21 million against a $27 million budget. Despite Ooh. this, it received widespread critical acclaim, was nominated for eight Oscars, four of which it won. The film was a huge success. Video market. Uh, it's been you know, preserved in the National Film Registry, Library of Congress, Reception and Legacy. Damn. I don't. I don't know. I. I always thought this was the. Uh, the best picture winner of this year. Yeah. Got nominated but didn't win. I guess. It won for film editing, score by Bill Conti, sound and sound effects editing. So it took all the effects awards. But. Bill really Conti, also from Rocky, right? Yeah, that's why. That's why I mentioned it. <laughs> So I fucking said it, Peter. Number ten is a 10. movie that <laughs> is a movie that I got wrong last week. Um, it's a comedy film. Um, if I give you much more than that, it's going to give it away. It's a it's a live action comedy, uh, as in live <laughs> performance. As in, as in Richard Pryor here and now. As in that. Yep. <laughs> Rounding out the top 20, we got Educating Rita in there. The Dead Zone's at 13. Mr. Mom's still at 15. That's up 8%, actually. It's at 63.5 million after 19 weeks in release. Wow. Deal of the Century, that one we keep dancing around with Chevy Chase, directed by William Friedkin. Uh, who else is in that? Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney uh, Weaver, yeah. Yeah, four weeks of release. It's only at 9.65 so far. Um, Risky Business is down at number 19. Gentle, number 20. Death Stalker, <laughs> number 21. It's up 11% this weekend. <laughs> that 13 weeks the early. engine that could. Oh, well, it is because it's at 8.3 million, but I thought we said it made like 11 or something. So yeah. it just keeps chugging along. It's yeah. ahead of uh, Star Wars, Return of the Jedi this week, 22. 365,000 this weekend, and it's 27th weekend. It's up to 243.994. About to hit uh, 244. How many theaters is it in? Um, 103 at this point. Oh, okay. Not many, but... Rear Window is number 23. Um, it's made 3.282 million so far. Week 1,526. <laughs> like, how many years is that again? <laughs> Uh, I think that came out in like six fifty nine or eight. I can't remember when it came out, but yeah, that's still fucking wild. <laughs> One thousand. So figure fifty two weeks in a year, so that's two years for every hundred. So uh, you're at twenty, and then sixty three. Yeah, so it was probably yeah. like the 
Uh-huh. Early 60s. Yep. <laughs> Nuts. Um, okay. I don't know. Brainstorm. We've talked about that a couple times. That's in here. Vertigo is in here again. That's also week 1,300. We're just releasing Hitchcock. Yeah. Did he die around then or something? Yeah, maybe. Uh, possession uh, is one we did not do for the podcast, but that uh, is hanging out. Number 35. I wouldn't say it's hanging out, but it's only made $1.051 million at this point in seven weeks. <laughs> It's hanging in there at 35. Yeah, what the fuck? Man. <laughs> All right. All right, Ron. <laughs> let me tell you Peter. a little story. Let me tell you a little story about your friend Peter. Sometime in the spring of 1994, <laughs> I went to Blockbuster and I rented mm-hmm. Demolition Man. Okay. I did not see it in the theater. I the rented it. Yeah. <laughs> I rented it. I watched it once. I thought so little of it that I barely remembered anything about it and went on with the rest of my life. And Now you uh, realize your I, life's been wasted <laughs> up till this point. Yeah. Listen, if I could be cryogenically reverse frozen <laughs> to that day in 1994, I would go back and I would... Yeah. And I would be like, Peter, what the fuck are you doing? Right. I would this go movie... back and kill yourself if yeah. I was you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to live the next uh, 20, yeah, are... 30 years of my life yeah. thinking that shit. Why do you think you felt... I... And by the way, I'm not saying that my opinion of this movie hasn't maybe come down. So, yeah. Um, but why do you think you felt that way back in 19... 19- like, about... Forget thinking about it now in hindsight. What mm-hmm. at the time where you're just like, this isn't enough action. This isn't funny enough. There's not enough like clever references to crazy shit in the future. I mean, just Sandra Bullock's office alone with like a lethal weapon three poster and shit's got to yeah. give, give a, give a person a little bit of, ha, ha, right. yes. The Taco Bell or, you know, references. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. This is my only answer, and I've thought about this a lot. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking, Ron. I I came away from it for whatever reason, just not enjoying it. Like I I remember exactly where I was sitting when I watched it. I remember that day very. <laughs> I, like I remember this day very vividly watching this movie. But I might have had something else going on. I don't even know. That part and we didn't remember. watch this ever together in the apartment sure. she lived in or anything? Because I really like this movie. I feel like I yeah. watched you it. You might have had it on, but I don't... Yeah, I don't think I paid attention if you did. Like, huh. I just kind of dismissed this movie for whatever reason. I don't... Man, I this is it's puzzling to me because I'm... It's not like in 1993, I was like, well, now I just want to see art house films. No, I was still right. very much. <laughs> yeah, why weren't you there much... opening weekend? I mean, that exactly. seems like the kind of thing you've been like, I, I made my mom yeah. take me or whatever. You know? Right. Any action movie yeah, that looked appealing, I was there. So I don't know what yeah. the fuck. Um, okay. Well, yeah, maybe you were better than the rest of us back then. But... <laughs> I don't know. Nowadays, I, don't know, I feel but... like everybody's kind of come around. I mean, post-COVID, this movie is just. You know that it's it's almost cliched at this point. Oh, it's reflective. Of come to society. right. Yes. Well, not just that, but yeah, it it, it all of this came true, or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. But 
Sure. We'll, we'll get into that in a minute. That's not necessarily the case, but anyway. Demolition Man opened in theaters October 8th of 1993. This was the beginning of Warner Brothers' annual October Stallone releases. Uh, we also got The Specialist the following October and Assassins in October of 95. And we reviewed both of those uh, as bonus episodes on this podcast earlier in the year. And I think we agree they're they're fun, underrated movies, right? Yep, absolutely. That's, that's what we said about those yep do you remember yep. those or do you already forget about the whole oh no i i remember both of them <laughs> i remember both of them quite well because once i thought about this i'm like okay and i'll get i'll get more into this later but there was a point today that i thought how was i ever so out of the stead- loop is to not go see a stallone movie every yes. year when it came out how was i so <laughs> steadfast on a schwarzenegger movie when stallone was putting out I mean, like I saw Cliffhanger and loved it, but yet I had no yeah. desire to see Demolition Man in the theaters. I never saw Assassins, never saw Specialists, which is reverse. No, maybe order. it just didn't appeal to you. I don't know. Yeah, good point. <laughs> good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> no, seriously, I like. Yeah, I don't. I don't know other than to say that you know Stallone was one of my guys, so it's it's not for me to judge. Like I I I would see anything he does, and I still pretty much do. I watch the fucking. Uh, Stallone documentary on Netflix this weekend, right after I watched Demolition Man. It was great. I mean, it's is it good? Half, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's not like a blow your mind documentary or anything. It's just, right. you, you like Stallone. You're going to watch him talk about some of his movies and uh, whatever. Yeah. Pontificate, you know, he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a guy who likes to reflect and he kind of talks like Rocky sometimes <laughs> when he's just <laughs> talking about normal stuff and you're like, okay, right. Stallone. But, but no, I mean, very good if you're a fan, but, uh, wait, where was I going with this? Um, oh, so I would see whatever he did, but that doesn't mean everybody else would. And judging by box office receipts, uh, (laughs) that's, that's true of more people than not. I mean, they, the specialists and assassins bombed at the box office or, or at least failed to meet expectation for Warner brothers. So it was those three and then nothing from Sly and Warner's in October until get Carter in 2000 which also flopped, uh, and is another one I concede as issues, but I, I rather enjoy for some of its nuttier elements and interesting filmmaking, and it's got a great cast. Mickey Rourke's in there, and Michael Caine, and uh, who's that guy who's in, like, uh, GoldenEye, and um, uh, Cumming, Alan Cumming. Alan Cumming's in it. Oh, sure. Um, John C. McGinley. So anyway, that's that's a movie that's kind of fun to watch. Uh, Rachel Lee Cook plays his daughter, and she's like a messed up kind of drug addict who these guys fuck with, and that's who he's going out for revenge on. It's a it's a weird movie in the sense that it's not just like slam bang action. It's trying to be some kind of weird art house thing, and and Stallone. I guess he looks past his prime, but I, he compared to. I mean, this is twenty three years ago, so yeah. he looks damn good you know hindsight and everything so whatever anyway good movie uh again conceded has has issues but i liked it but it's the last time to date that's like and uh, the studio collaborated but this movie demolition man was the first and it was a hit um at least a fair hit uh, relative to budget and quickly became well liked and this kind of pop culture touchstone that people still meme and they reference today um especially co- post-covid i don't know I I was one of those guys who I don't want to say I was first, but as soon as we started doing things like running out of toilet paper and not having physical contact greetings and whatever, I was like, okay, yeah, it's demolition. I mean, <laughs> Demolition Man would be 
or would have been because again I, i'm not going to spoil how i feel about this movie watching it now but would have been in my top 10 of 1993 at least i mean sure. it, it, it might have been top five or some shit like and i've watched this movie a gazillion times so it it, it hit me as soon as we started doing that stuff i was like oh my god here we go demolition man and people are going to start fucking memeing it and quoting it and i got it out there as soon as i could so i can like screenshot the the second day of covid where i was like i'm i'm the guy who made this connection not that it's ever going to come up where i have to prove such a thing but you never know i need it yeah somebody might listen to this podcast and be like prove it asshole i'll be like all right fucking february 28th of 2020 um but yeah so peter I know I saw this in theaters. You and probably opening weekend. You said you yeah, did not. I did not. Your history with Demolition Man is such that you watched it once on video, never gave it a second thought. Until right? and yep, until November, whatever the hell day today is, November fourteenth, twenty twenty three. So twenty nine years. We'll just say thirty. We'll just say it's been thirty years. Just over 30 since it came out on October yeah. 8th of yep. 1993. Yeah. Crazy. So here I am seeing it for the second time. For the first time. Yeah. We'll just, <laughs> we're going to call it the first time. Feels <clears throat> like the first time. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I saw it in theaters with my mom. Uh, that's pretty much how I rolled with every big action movie from probably 87 when she took me to see lethal weapon up until probably like 94 or so. And I was hitting 16 in high school and started going to more movies with friends and just able to get in more R rated movies without an adult and all that. Um, I've owned this movie ever since it came out on VHS, then DVD and then Blu-ray and whatever else I've seen it countless times. Never gets old for me. I probably didn't have to watch it for this podcast, but I did. And I'm glad I did. I watched it pretty recently with the kids. They all loved it. And I, I wasn't bored rewatching it again this week, despite having just watched it with them a couple of months ago. Uh, so yeah, it's one of those for me. I, I feel like it's one of those I can throw on anytime and kind of watch it and appreciate it and, and get into it. I've talked about movies like that before with Caddyshack and uh, um, Major League. So yeah. I, I, I feel or I've always felt it kind of falls into that category for me. You obviously disagree. <laughs> <You're> not... <laughs> um, no, 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 no. Uh, what I, I mean, all I can go on is what I saw today. Like I am again, I have no idea what I was thinking that day, that fateful day in '94, mm-hmm. in my living room in Shorewood. But in terms yeah. of what I saw today, I was, I, it's the writing. First of all, I got to give props to because it's. It's very quick. It's very, uh, it it keeps the jokes going the whole movie. The I, <laughs> I'm such a sucker for this kind of shit. Just the the fact that whenever they'd swear, you'd have the yeah. you've been fine <laughs> at <one> point, yeah, <laughs> and it would just happen kind of in the background subtly. Like yep. that to me is great. That's great entertainment yep. because every time they swore, you were like listening for it. And, yeah, it's that callback and, shit that you love where they're yes. like, oh, here's this joke from a little while ago. We were, yeah, we were talking about that on something else, and it wasn't even a, a particularly great thing. It was maybe the shit in, oh, I don't know, it was, it was basketball where Chenny McCarthy keeps saying, oh, you want me to buff your lobby or whatever? And, <laughs> yes. Or, or he's like, my lobby could use some buffing. She's like, mm-hmm. and, and it just keeps happening for, uh-huh. you know, three or four different of those dumb things. And yeah. it's not particularly <laughs> smart, but it's like, 
it's funny because they just yeah. keep doing it. <laughs> and yeah. and another thing that I really enjoyed about this was how game Stallone was. I I I mean, obviously the the '90s weren't. We weren't in the phase of of actors doing movies just to just right. to fulfill a contract or just to get some money. Like these were still these were still movies that they're trying to make hits. Uh, so. But that being said, I I feel like Stallone a lot of times goes with the quiet man, and when he's yeah. when he's in roles like this, he's equally as entertaining. Like he he has some great one liners in this, and him and him and Sandra Bullock's dynamic is fantastic. I well, like we like you said, also in the '90s, we weren't in the phase of Stallone like reappraisal, right? So right. Stallone's coming off the 80s of he's got rocky and rambo which people are are more or less tired of yeah based on you know diminishing box office turns although middle of the decade highest grosses sure. for both franchise but it the fall is quick he's doing stuff like cobra and tango and cash which i personally love um I, I, they're both hits well tango cash not as much i guess but uh, cobra was but either way it, again the the sense is sort of like he doesn't the, the bloom is off the rose with this guy. There's stuff like yep. over the top. And then he tries Oscar and then he tries uh, um, stop my mom will shoot and things like that. And so 93, he's got cliffhanger, which is huge. And he's got this movie, which is also a, a hit, but it's not, I mean, it's not some runaway train. It made about as much money on the same budget as last action hero, which is considered, you know, a, this huge career, not ending, but sort of repositioning of, of Schwarzenegger. Yep. And and then Stallone's getting kudos for what he was able to do with this. So, um, why did I bring all that up? Oh, you said in in '93, it's not as if yeah. like we were going just to to see your average Stallone movie. And nope, that yeah, that started that started pretty much. Fa- I mean, you had to have somebody like Wesley Snipes who, coming off of New Jack City and White Men Can't Jump to name right. a few or this four quadrant uh, idea of it's a it's a sci-fi spectacle action mm-hmm. comedy with uh references it's not like stallone doing lockup or right. stallone you know try trying to be a little more brooding or it's not him like go well, i'll branch out to comedy check out this like farcical shit oscar that only yeah. a handful of people including ron think is one of the best movies of all time i like it's, great, it's by the way yeah, I know you do. That's why <laughs> you're the co-host of this podcast, and that's the deal. <laughs> um, Thanks, man. I, hey, hey, it's your podcast, too. <laughs> uh, but, so, I guess what I'm saying is, is it's not as if, like, this had this movie come out and not had the same sort of marketing push of Stallone, Snipes, Battle for the Future. Here's some funny shit like Taco Bell. And Taco Bell's got our cups and our, you know, whatever else for their their Happy Meals yeah. or whatever they call Border Meals. or I don't know. What was Taco Bell's thing? Is that right? I think it might be right. Border Meals? Yep. <coughs> oh, sorry. I had to... Jesus Christ. I to... <laughs> sorry I caught you between tokes. Uh, anyway. So, <laughs> that shit is, is what sets this movie apart, right? I mean, that's that's the only reason it was even a modest hit. And to that end, it, it maybe didn't even like, there's a reason we never had a demolition man too. Right. I, I don't, I don't know. But yeah. Even though I thought about that today, I wondered if they would do it, but you'd, you'd have to have snipes again or, or someone, another bad well, guy. 
Well, you could have done it two years later, three or four, or even a decade later. I guess what yep. I'm saying is it's funny that um, that didn't happen, even though this movie very quickly caught it. So I can understand Warner Brothers is sitting there going, okay, well, this movie, like, you know, made whatever it was, $65 million domestic, 150 worldwide on a, I don't, I don't remember what the budget was, say it was 60 or something. So it's, it's a hit, but whatever. People aren't falling over themselves for it. But in today's day and age, if a movie did that, and then there was all this buzz, the memes, the fucking quotes, mm-hmm. the all that, they would be rushing a sequel into pre-production. And it didn't Absolutely. take 10 years for that to happen with this movie. It happened with, you know, people like you who who waited till video to see it, and then yep. all of a sudden it caught on, and it was, it was not some slow burn. It wasn't maybe necessarily overnight, but it was, I mean, within three years, Warner Brothers 100% could have greenlit another one of these and and even if it only made the same amount if they kept the budget similar uh it would have been worth worth doing and right there was there's been talk about it in the last however many years but now it's just like okay i mean i i still love stallone and i'll watch whatever he makes but this is that's not where we need to be going with his career and 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 what'll end up happening is they'll just like remake it or make some legacy sequel or whatever the fuck you call it and it'll just be some whole different thing where they just all right do the same shit the first movie does only much less interesting so how old do you think he is right now mid 70s probably yes yeah, Stallone. he's he's got to be around 43 in this movie or something in this in this movie this. no yeah i mean yeah. well the only reason i ask is because there's a line where I, I think he beats some people up and sandra bullock says not bad for a 73 year old yeah yeah right. 70 year old and i'm like he's probably about that age <laughs> Yeah. Well, first of all, thinking about this movie in terms of 2032, there's uh, both parallels and nothing that right. <laughs> connects. But, um, but yeah, I, I got to believe they probably would have downplayed his age a little bit. So I don't know if that... Well, okay. Well, keep in mind, this movie starts in 1996. So it's yeah. only three years in the future of of this 1993 movie. But yeah. um, it, it does take place three years later. It stars Sylvester Stallone as John Spartan, a.k.a. the Demolition Man. Uh, He's one of these reliable movie tropes, the renegade risk-it-all cop who's willing to blow up a building to get the bad guys uh, and or rescue innocent victims. Uh, Spartan is after Simon Phoenix, played by Wesley Snipes. Uh, I would say this is one of his more iconic roles and performances, especially as the years go on. He's got that uh, Dennis Rodman platinum hair of the time and these like crazy Zumba outfits with his pants. Like, is that what they are? <laughs> Zumbas? I don't know. Yeah. They look Those, like, it, like yeah. flared, like uh, zebra stripe pants and shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's multicolor leather tops. And yeah, it's yeah. Nuts. Throughout the movie and including the opening sequence where Salai has one of those uh, classic hero introductions where he jumps out of a helicopter shooting at Phoenix's henchmen <laughs> on the way down. And Phoenix is referred to as a maniac and he, Makes a pretty good case for that title throughout the movie. He's a, a mad dog killer, as somebody describes him. So, uh, LA is literally on fire. We open on a burnt skeleton of the Hollywood sign as uh, fires rage for blocks and gunshots and explosions are ringing out all over. And uh, the subtitle reveals this is Los Angeles, 1996. Uh, again, only three years after this movie came out. Yeah. So. Visions of the future are always funny. Like Terminator 2. Supposed to be 1997 and like this nuclear like, 
war yeah. happens and you have you have the oh, yeah uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to the timeline of this movie because i kind of spelled it out a little bit well I, okay i didn't really spell it out i just used what the movie said but i'll i'll uh i mean sure. well first of all i think it's funny like okay so this movie uh it's only three years uh it's set three well, in the beginning this the, it's only the first five minutes that place takes place in 1996 but the beginning yeah. is set only three years from when the movie came out so I guess there was this early 90s uh, sensibility or, or mentality or whatever that post Rodney King and the L.A. riots and all that, that L.A. was literally going to burn and destroy itself, uh, which which was kind of what was happening a few years earlier with, with the riots and everything. I mean, it was literally on fire. And uh, so this film kind of posits, what if we didn't get that under control? Like, what if the police were driven out? And one gang, or or in this case, more or less one crime lord, I guess. But they, he's got a gang, so fuck right. whatever. I don't know. It's more about him, though. It's more about Snipes than anybody else. But but just just one guy would be able to take over the city, or at least several blocks. Like I'm sure citywide, it's crime ridden, uh, free for all. And but Phoenix has this this block at least sewed up. And he tells Sly, he's like, "Look, I told the city, nobody comes down here. Policemen, firemen, postmen, they all listened." But apparently the bus drivers who continue to maintain their routes, which if you're a bus driver or, or even just like a pedestrian that would ride the bus and even the cops don't come into this hell hole, right. so I'm we not doing? sure why the bus drivers would be so adamant about continuing to drive into a, like a war zone yeah. that their people are wanting to commute in and out of it. Like I, I, I can see some like ancillary movie about this like hero bus driver who's just so committed to serving the passengers and providing transportation in the middle of this hellscape that he risks it all. Like, uh, you know, like some like the postman type shit. Like, right. like Kevin Costner can play the part. He he'd love it. Uh, except I don't know. He it's not historical enough for him. He he can't like dress up like a cowboy. So he'd probably just like set it in the 1800s and instead of a bus, it'd be like a wagon train or a railroad car or You're some right. shit that. Refuses to stop its route for Big Bad Bart or whatever. Anyway, I'm getting off track. So Phoenix hijacks the city bus, takes these people hostage. And then there's this, what I think is a well-directed sequence of uh, shootouts and fistfights and stuff. And uh, I, I, Marco Brambrilla, who is the director of this movie and never really went on to do much else, I think he should have had a bigger career. He's, he's really good at uh, filming. I thought he was great. The action sequences in this. But Psy bungee jumps into Phoenix Lair from a helicopter, takes out all the henchmen, captures Phoenix, uh, but not before Phoenix starts the building on fire, which ultimately explodes, and naturally the demolition man, quote unquote, is blamed for the er, demolition of this building. <laughs> yeah. And to make matters worse, they find the bodies of the 30 or so bus passengers that were taken hostage by Phoenix. So Sly is tried and convicted for their murders. But this being a whopping three years in the future from 1993, now criminals are frozen in cryo-prisons. So instead of going to jail, you go into a giant ice cube until your sentence is over. I guess. Or, (laughs) as this movie shows, until your parole board hearing. But what really is the punishment for being frozen? Like, have you thought about this? I did because I wanted to ask you about this. What's the sense in keeping Wesley Snipes the same age when he <laughs> if he's a psycho or Stallone if he killed thirty hostages? Why are you keeping him the same age as opposed so when they get out they could still be spry and young and ready to 
Okay, here's my theory. I mean, the time would go fast, I assume. So, so like, how if you're asleep or sedated, hour feels like five minutes or a couple minutes or whatever it is. Yep. You're, you're sedated for, like, a colonoscopy or get your wisdom teeth out or whatever. You're like, oh, my God, yep. two minutes, I'm awake, right? So there's not really a punishment aspect of serving time behind bars. Um, the movie suggests Sly was conscious or thinking or dreaming or whatever during his time frozen but when he says this everyone seems outraged like that's horrible and impossible and a a side effect you know something that wasn't designed to be part of the punishment um to that end why would sly be the first person to inform them of this i feel like at some point somebody who came around to their parole board here was like i've been been awake this whole time uh Because when Sly says that, Cocteau, who we'll get to when we start talking about all these characters, but he's like, I don't think you were awake, but regardless, the side effects are unavoidable, you owe a debt to society, and and essentially tough shit. But anyway, from a punishment standpoint, you come out exactly as you went in, uh, and presumably you just get to go carry on your life, right? Like, what, I I mean, what, what happens to people sentenced to life? Like, is there even a point in that? Right, like there was, you get life in cryo prison. <laughs> At some point, somebody's gonna have to do something with them. Three thousand yeah, years I in mean, the future, he's still there. Why bother freezing someone for whatever life is yeah. or the eternity of the prison concept would be? I mean, I, I don't know. At some point, things will will change, and they'll have to do something with all these human popsicles. I guess there there is a scene where they they're defrosting guys for their parole hearings, and they say something like. Uh, X amount of years ago, the parole system, as you know, it was rendered obsolete. So maybe they mm-hmm. wake them up every once in a while when like a new law shows up or something, and they're like, "Oh, we, we, we're bringing you around to let you know what you're in for an hour." <laughs> now, also, I, I, and I think you might have just brought it up, but if not, I apologize. Uh, Stallone, they they do program things to rehabilitate you in your brain. As in Stallone yeah. learns how to how to knit. <laughs> so you right, you freeze them and they go into whatever, and then they come out and then they're rehabilitated or or have a rehabilitation program. So they they're able right. to program it into you that you don't have the impulse to kill and murder, and not only that, but then here's this other thing you are going to do now when you get you know idle hands or whatever, and, and everybody gets a skill. In Stallone's case, you know he's a seamstress as he says but other people probably like i don't know play the piano or some shit i'm sure i'm not sure they don't really discuss it about anybody else but stallone but right which is one of the issues i do have with this movie but we'll we'll get to that in a minute um so uh what were we talking about here i'm like why, uh, did, why put him why put him in for life yes <laughs> just that whole process yeah, and like having a parole healing hearing, hearing yeah, right back into the. I mean, can okay, can you imagine you have to defrost these guys for their parole hearing and then just like throw them right back in? Uh, I mean, <laughs> can they get something to eat? <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, I, I feel like there's there's a lot of cost involved. I mean, the the yeah. scene where they defrost alone seems like a really involved thing. It's like. <laughs> There's like lasers and shit, and yeah. uh, it doesn't doesn't seem like an easy process. Um, I'm sure it's time consuming and expensive. Um, 
Yeah. Can you imagine trying to comprehend waking up from being frozen for however many decades and trying to follow whatever shit they're telling you and right. advocating for yourself at a quote parole hearing? Uh, <laughs> and you're you're just like, I, I just I just woke up out of an ice cube and you're telling me it's 2070 or whatever. Right. Um, and they're like, OK, you're going back. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> Maybe like, maybe that's part of the punishment. I yeah, maybe. why people wouldn't want to end up in ice prison. Maybe we're sitting here going, that'd be a pretty sweet deal. But <laughs> like in in this society, we're like, oh, don't go to the ice prison. Whatever you do, it's totally fucked up. <laughs> but it hasn't been around long enough because it w- didn't exist in '93. So it was created sometime between '93 and '96. So it's not like there were generations to hand down these stories to be like, right. don't go to <laughs> at, it, in in '93 '94. People were probably like, put me in the fucking ice cubes. That's uh-huh. great. <laughs> yeah they decided to put jeffrey dahmer in there too. yeah right yeah yeah so they took other prisoners and stuck them in there uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> or previous prisoners right okay but but on its face and assuming that you're you're getting out someday the only big downside would be that uh, everything in your your life before you went in is gone you know so time's moved on and everything you everyone you knew or loved is dead or, or old or whatever it is. And depending on the length of the sentence, obviously you, you might never see those people again, but how is that really any different from regular prison? Cause that's kind of the same thing. True. <laughs> Very true. I didn't think about and what about that. like repeat offenders? Do they like go in, get defrosted, go back out and then they rob another convenience store and then right. go in and get frozen again. <laughs> They're like you're getting three years this time, Jimbo or whatever. And he's like, oh shit. Or or it's like, sweet, I'm gonna sleep for three years. Yeah, and... well, yeah well, it'll feel like two minutes. Yeah, it's not really. Yeah. Fun. Maybe it's only for like violent criminals or something. I don't know. Right. Um. Now later in the movie, it's not really an issue because we're told almost all crime is stopped in the future, and uh, certainly violent crime and murder. But the Cairo prison is a thing in 96 so until cocteau developed this utopia of several decades later uh, there had been a lot of thawing and unthawing of all these criminals and where are those people at this point (laughs) that's a question that's a good question that i (laughs) didn't even think of all right back to the beginning of this movie yeah were they what (laughs) were they Well, well, we'll get to these people, but did they become part of the the underground layer of? Well, of, yes, perhaps yeah. that, or or they just assimilated themselves into society, and they're like, well, now that everything is great, I don't yeah. need to worry about being. Right. I mean, but the, the, you can read this movie as a real fascist allegory if you want to, and um, I may or may not have done that. So let's just see where this this goes. <laughs> All right. Now that I'm woke, I might have a whole different take on this movie. <laughs> um, anyway, shout out to uh, Steve Kahan, the the police captain in Lethal Weapon movies. Uh, this is a Joel Silver production as well, um, and Kahan plays the police captain or chief here too. And he's the guy who tells Sly that he better have a good lawyer after uh, he's told Sly blew up the building with the hostages inside. Um, Sly says that he did a thermo check before he went in and it only showed eight people and they were all part of Phoenix's gang. But we find out later on it's because uh, Phoenix had already killed the passengers. So that's why they didn't show up on Sly's thermo scan. Right. Which I'm just putting that out there because some stupid motherfucker is going to 
put in the talkbacks. Like, <laughs> well, they never explained why Sloan even went to prison. Or like, <laughs> he did a thermo check, guy. That's why. Yeah. They, the the script writer literally put that in there for you. He's like, <laughs> put, what would he do check. to know that? Just really, thermo check. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> And you missed it. <laughs> um, oh, dude. And speaking of uh, Lethal Weapon and Joel Silver alums, the actor who plays the younger version of the helicopter pilot, Zach Lamb, yeah. uh, at the beginning when Sly Bungie's. Grand- that's Grandel Bush. Uh, oh, yep. sorry. Okay, you go. You go. Tell us nope. who's he's doing. What is it? <laughs> My fault. I did notice no, no. that, too. You had, you had Grandel Bush. You had Steve Kahn. And then the firefighter who informs... Uh, them that he found oh, a yeah. bunch of bodies on a bus. Bodies that, everywhere. Yeah, They're all that's dead. the cop. From, that's the cop from Die Hard too. That's holding the gun to in the airport to Willis's face. Like, where's your Indeed. where's your badge or where's your yeah where's your badge on its way to Cleveland? Oh, so yeah, we had three. We had three Die Hard slash Lethal Weapon alums in in about yeah. two minutes there. And I thought, man, I love, I love how there's these stock actors all at the ready for Joel Silver movies. Yeah. And then like I said later too, in uh, Bullock's office, you know, just see like the Lee who and three poster yeah. and there's, there's other shit like that in this movie, but uh, yeah, it's, it's fun when, you know, it's not a sequel to anything else, but it's fun when these studio movies all feel like part of a, a universe or whatever, you know, yeah. Disney has their shit kind of pop up in things and same with universal Amblin movies, Spielberg stuff, yep. all that. So it's, it's cool to think of Warner brothers or at least Joel Silver as the same type of <laughs> sort of yeah. fucked up family. <laughs> right. Um, I did mention too, that Bush is also in free Jack colors and natural born killers. The first power uh, in that chasers movie. I referenced during our surviving the game episode, which oh, yeah. you probably don't even remember, but. No, uh, I remember thinking I want to see the movie, but I don't remember anything about Chasers. Yeah, yeah, I mean, nobody does. (laughs) I have it it on VHS if you want to watch it. You still have a VHS player? Um, I don't, actually. I do. You want to come over? Yeah, actually, I do. I was trying to hook it up with an HDMI cable, which obviously it doesn't actually have in the back of it because it's a VHS player. But they make a... HDMI to the uh, console cable or the the red, yellow, white or whatever. And I was like, oh, cool, I'll buy that. And the thing was like 20 bucks. And then I tried to hook it up and get it to work on a normal TV these days, and it did not work. So bad news. No chasers (laughs) for us on VHS. Well, I can plug it right into the back of the TV because luckily the TV I tried to hook it into was old enough. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't watch it like upstairs and on like a new good TV. Sure. Well, the only way I'm going to watch it with you is on VHS. So, well, it, we can watch it in the basement. We just can't watch it upstairs on the good TV. All right, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um. So okay, we were, we started getting into this. It's always risky for a movie to predict the future, especially the near future. Uh, it can look dated immediately. So setting your movie only three years after it's coming out is pretty ballsy. Like the Hollywood sign did not burn down three years later. No. Like no gang took over LA. Um, and we're coming up on 2032, uh, the year the rest of this movie takes place in just a tad over, what, eight years, which is fucking yeah. nuts. Hopefully uh, we're, not we're not dressing any... like that. Yeah, the clothes are weird, but <laughs> we're not 
we're not like anywhere near any of this though they, no. they, they <laughs> do mention in the movie that the major changes came after <laughs> came the major changes came after the earthquake of 2010 oh, or the, the earthquake, earthquake. Yeah. yeah as they call it <laughs> and that's uh allowed them to rebuild la into san angeles a conglomeration of los angeles santa barbara san diego uh that this guy dr cocteau who's played by nigel hawthorne a year before getting some oscar acclaim in the madness of king george you remember that movie i do remember it never saw it but i remember it it's pretty good i only saw it back in 94 but yeah hawthorne was gonna be a thing for a minute there who Sly calls Spacely Sprockets, which I laughed out loud. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> He's like, let me get this straight. Spacely Sprockets over here, the mayor, the gov, the big cheese. <laughs> and then Bob Gunton's like, caveman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, they man. call him a, uh, I don't know, they call him another name. Neanderthal, thank you. Yeah, yeah they call him that a yes. couple times too. So we don't need the Neanderthal caveman. <laughs> um, anyway, so Sly, Sly calls him Spacely Sprockets, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, he's the architect of this new peaceful society, and he's mildly worshipped by the people as uh, like their savior. They talk about how society tried to destroy itself, and somehow this Dr. Cocteau came up with this plan that I'm, I'm really not sure how he did it. Like I still don't understand if the society is that ragged, like even worse than what we've seen at its worst. They almost make it sound like it was zombie apocalypse time per, post this earthquake. Right. And, and, and she's like, you weren't here when the real disturbances came. And it's like, if 1991-23LA was not the real disturbances, what else right. could have happened? So <laughs> apparently it got way worse, but then how did this guy even get a handle on it? They're, they skip over all that. It's like James L. Brooks's origin story. They're just like, oh, one minute he's like, society tried to destroy itself. The next minute it's like he, he ushered in this new wave of utopia or whatever. Yeah. So it's almost like an island of itself, right? Like you can't get out of this right. city. It's, well, that's no another question. What's going down. on in the rest of the world? Like, yeah, yeah, like, I is this just that. literally this like subsect of California is great and the rest of the world's a fucking nightmare? Or did everybody, did like countries right. in the world get on this idea of this is the future now and everybody's peace and love and nobody's equipped to handle violence and whatnot? Do you think New York is just a fucking nightmare scene like in exactly. this case, New York or something at this <laughs> right. point? And it's over here in LA. The Statue of Liberty's in the just buried in the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Right? How's Milwaukee doing? No one. <laughs> we know Jeffrey Dahmer's. In the middle. There'll be a, yeah. there'll be some utopian parts, and it won't change much. We won't notice. We'll just be like, oh man, the coasts are crazy, huh? Thank God we live in the Midwest. Right. What we always say. Yeah. Bunch oh. of fucking idiots. <laughs> so yeah, before we get into the differences and and rules of this new society, let's talk about the movie's idea about technological advancements. Uh, Forty years <laughs> on from nineteen ninety three. There's still like the big boxy computers and you know keyboards. They didn't they didn't really predict. You know, there's like two no. screens, so I don't. It's it's weird how no movie really predicted the idea of the flat screen. They they all had hell ha- handheld things. Yeah, you know, they, like, yeah, they could talk to each other like on a cell phone. Yeah, like so they yep. got that part of it, but they never really thought of a handheld computer or being able to. You can go into a house now and say, you know, turn on the lights. I mean, Alexa, turn on the lights, but. 
just the the voice command that's that's something they got kind of technologically accurate at least yeah that's true although voice commands and stuff you can think about like 2001 back in the 60s and people were talking to <laughs> robots that controlled all their shit so true but either way it's just it's fun to watch these movies and see what they got right and what they got wrong and some of it works but it's also funny to think that nobody was able to think even 10 years down the road i mean think of 2003 compared to 1993 and then 2013 compared to 2003 it's just right it's mind-blowing how quickly that all happened and nobody really well maybe we shouldn't worry about the writers of demolition man having that vision <laughs> but <laughs> if steve jobs was like oh yeah demolition man's the future i'd be like mm, i'm a little worried about this guy being in charge of apple but... <laughs> right <laughs> but the writers of this movie can have <laughs> yeah we'll allow them that uh, what about cars? They're all like these small, pointy metal. They kind of sort of glide down the streets and stuff. They all seem battery yep. operated and respond to voice commands. They have little TV screens in the dash. So it's about as close to, I think, predicting. Like we have battery operated stuff, or at least yeah. stuff I mean, cars. And uh, we all have a little screen in there. We don't even talk to people on that screen. We're not allowed to. So it's that's, that's ahead <laughs> of our time. <laughs> yep. 2032, it'll be. Yeah, that's right. We got ten years to go. We don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, when when they when the vehicles drive themselves, which is also coming, then they won't have to worry about the safety rig of uh, not talking to. Okay, yeah, that tracks. Another twelve years. Exactly. They yep. already have cars that'll parallel park and stuff. I can see. Yeah, the self driving thing. That was another thing. Yeah. That you could do in this movie. Um. Yeah. How about the rules? No swearing, no physical contact, <laughs> yeah. no handshaking, no kissing, no sex, no swearing, no salt. What do you, what no do you think salt. about that? Yeah. Um, Music or old commercial tunes. That's or old commercial. like classic rock. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Or there'd be like singing the, uh, the, you walk through a club and the Green Giant theme song is playing. Yeah. <laughs> and the clubs of little... Taco Bell. Yeah, little little things like that are. Oh yeah, that's true. It was Club Taco Bell. Yeah, little things like that are are hilarious in it. In terms of the the rules and stuff, I mean, who the hell? I don't know who the hell would want to, unless things were that drastically different over thirty, forty years. I don't know, but. Well, you're such a Dennis Leary. <laughs> yeah, Dennis. Uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get to Leary. I'll. Uh... Yeah, we're not we're not up to Leary yet. Um, Schwarzenegger was president. Um, and then of course there's the, the big one. Everybody references, you know what I'm talking about? I don't. <laughs> Boy, that setup didn't go. High. I, I was going to say the three seashells. Oh yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't understand what that means at all. <laughs> it's definitely definitely three seashells and Taco Bell or every restaurant is Taco Bell are the two main Yeah. Uh, I see what you're saying. Things that people kind of like I said meme and reference for this. Okay. Movie. My fault. I thought you were saying there's like something they predicted. And then second to probably those two or I guess third <laughs> uh w- would be some of the other shit like the stuff that's come post COVID, you know, like not shaking hands and Mhm. And then to a, a, a bigger extreme, having sex without actual physical right. contact and stuff like that. 
yeah, I mean, the, the rules of the society make for an interesting conversation. The idea of some of this stuff post COVID and potentially happening. Um, yeah. Some of the tech, like we're creeping up on like the car stuff we were talking about. So yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's a kind of weird, interesting, scary movie in some ways. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like you take all the, even just the entertainment aspect out. Yeah. It, it, it did do a good job creating the the conversations that you could have about what the future holds, especially seeing it in the 2023 lens. Right. Well, I was going to say, I could see how you might not care about any of that in 1994 or whatever. Right. And, but... and I did. And I clearly right. didn't. But then again, you do have, you, you said that's if you take the entertainment aspects out. Now you have all the entertainment aspects or, yeah. or, in terms of like a slam bang action movie, there it's still got that going for it. Oh, absolutely. Which once again, what the hell is Peter <laughs> thinking? <laughs> right. It's even got the it's even got the sound effects of the of your last Boy Scout and like Lethal Weapon gunshots. Oh, yeah. It's a just... it's a silver movie through and through. Yes. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's got I'm a different all... director, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That guy's mark is all over it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And he's been known to be, he's the one we we referenced in the true romance, right? That's that's who he's supposedly is being parodied, parodied yeah. in that movie. Yep, yep. You would think a director like this who, if I remember correctly, Silver and Tony Scott did not get along, right? Right. Silver and they had different visions and whatnot. Now you, I wonder how much up the ass of this director he was, because this guy was even more of a newbie on the scene. Yeah, probably only know. about I mean, thirty he, years old. He didn't have a big career. He did a, I think, a movie is called Excess Baggage with Alicia Silverstone and yeah, Del Toro. And that's the only other thing I ever heard him do. I, I think I've seen his name on some TV shows or straight to whatever movies, and I was like, oh yeah, Demolition Man, but. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate. And once again, even though this movie is kind of considered a success, it clearly didn't raise all tides. You know, Stallone went back to having a couple flops in a row. The director kind of went on to nothing. Snipes, we can talk about Snipes after this, but uh, it's it's arguable that, I don't know, post-1993, he was never really... And then he had Blade and kind of came back, but... But nothing, nothing, nothing as huge as that ninety-one to ninety-three run that he was on, especially well, considering even ninety-two to ninety-three. I mean, like he just he mm-hmm. was so hot, and then you know it, it seemed yep. like it seemed like he was around for a long time. And by the time it was kind of like, oh, Snipes is doing Drop Zone or whatever, and nobody gives a shit about that. Like it, it, it felt like it made sense. Like he had so many hits, and now of course he's in his period where he's. But it was like a year yeah. later, and I mean it's because we were fourteen at the time, and obviously. Time seems slower, but crazy. Anyway, so Phoenix escapes. Sly isn't frozen to catch him. The plot with Dr. Kato, Edgar Friendly. What are your thoughts on that? So Dr. Kato unleashes Phoenix intentionally to eliminate Edgar Friendly, played by Dennis Leary, who runs a group of... um, Protesters is the wrong word, but resistance he runs a resistance group it's a resistance, in the yep. sewers below the city. Um, they call them scraps, and they're just people who choose not to live within the quote utopia of our new society, and, and they call them thugs and hooligans. And 
All they want to do is still eat burgers. Seen as the villain. And that was another very interesting aspect of the movie was 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 who what Leary's character was and how he's viewed as opposed to what Stallone sees him as and Stallone is a cop from modern times so even he gets it quicker than than uh Cocteau and um so Chief Earl is kind of another character that I wanted to touch on but like he he's kind of at the mercy at the mercy of of this Cocteau guy Right, he's the police chief. He's a yeah. He's a do-gooder or whatever, and he's all about the cocktail plan, as people call it. And uh, yeah, he thinks Snipes is obviously crazy and insane, but he thinks Stallone is just as like we were saying a Neanderthal, a caveman, and he's your prototypical chief. Like doesn't like the yeah. rogue cops, of course. So Phoenix escapes. <laughs> yep. Slides and frozen to catch him. And then Dr. Cocteau is not aware of this necessarily. Uh, Sandra Bullock, who is a 90s obsessed cop. Well, let's talk about Bullock a little bit, I guess. This is kind of her breakthrough role. Um, she's very good, very cute. Um, I like Definitely. Her mishandling of phrases like, let's go blow this guy. Yeah. I'm going to lick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the way Stallone corrects her every time. <laughs> yeah, those yeah, those were of... fantastic scenes. Yeah, this is a year before Speed for her. So, And then she went on to do stuff like, what was it called? Uh, waiting while you were sleeping. While you were sleeping. Yep. She actually yeah. says that and in this movie. She says the phrase, while you were sleeping. She does, yeah, when talking to Stallone. <laughs> well, that makes sense. He was asleep for a long time. Yeah, he was. Um, I, I thought the setup was going to be for Bullock to be his daughter. I had thought you... that, too. Yeah. When, now, when she I didn't still want think... him to look it up. Yeah, I still think that would have been a cool twist, even if as soon as Sly mentions it, half the audience is going to think, like, oh, so that's his daughter. But mm-hmm. um, Sly brings up his daughter twice, and it's never mentioned again. Nope. After that, other than you know him saying he doesn't think he should maybe meet her because he wouldn't fit in. So I guess we're just supposed to assume he decided he shouldn't see her and drop the topic. But uh, I think the movie would have benefited from him exploring his past a little more at the very least. Like I understand there's probably an argument to be made that it's not worth slowing the movie down to do all this little background stuff. But like we were saying, what happens to these guys who go into prison and come out yep. 30 years later and What's that all look like? I mean, they could have they could have taken five minutes for him just to stop by an old friend's house or do some internet research to see yeah. her what in his past or where now. I don't know. Maybe they did some of that crap and it's on the cutting room floor if we ever get a special edition director's cut. A criterion? No, I don't even know what that is, actually. <laughs> no, a criterion would work great. They put a lot of okay. special features on that. Except right, then I was right. I don't know how Demolition Man would sit alongside stuff like uh, you know the Royal Tenenbaums and whatever is normally <laughs> on there. Right. Well, actually, The Rock and Armageddon are in the Criterion Collection as oh, really? early. Yep. Two weird, two weird ones to be in there. Michael Bay has two movies in the Criterion Collection. Weird. <laughs> Very yeah. weird. Would not have expected that. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but uh, maybe it's a good thing they, like I said, resisted the 
urge and just kept the momentum going stick mostly to the story sly i think is i like the way he tries to fit in but uh it it doesn't really kind of work at the end like you still want to see what the hell is going to happen with this guy in in 2032 when yeah. this movie ends he's just like you get a little dirty you get a little clean we'll all figure it out but um i don't i don't i think there's more we could see about him like trying to go grocery shopping or something in this world you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah you're right there was there was not as much of the acclimating to i mean there was there was plenty of it but there is more more stuff yeah. they could have done well, like I said, I think they just wanted to keep the momentum going. So trying to have him look in on his past or him trying to like just showing dumb scenes of him trying to go grocery shopping or whatever dumb thing you'd get in a in a comedy version of right. this where he's trying to assimilate in this society is but but I do like all these future changes and I wish we could have just seen Sly do a little more of it. But uh, the movie probably had to choose between you know having Sly and Bullock have sex, and and that's sex in quotes, um, or make right. him his daughter. So I think, I think they have to have the sex scene, which I think is a funny thing because you got to show how that's done in the future. But I think once you did that, then you can't make it the daughter. So it's good they still didn't try to <laughs> be like, yes, <laughs> be like, oh, by the way, it's me. And then they both look at each other like, oh shit. <laughs> And then the movie ends <laughs> with with a thing saying you've been fined one dollar for yeah. <laughs> or one point for <laughs> oh one credit. shit yeah you yeah. one credit <laughs> they both say it at the same time oh yeah shit <laughs> bonk <laughs> and then it ends <laughs> the alternate ending <laughs> so anyway um. Probably, probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's why we're not directors. Yeah, but again, uh, the the ridiculous method of sex in the future, I think, is worth uh, making a compromise. But uh, yeah. I do wonder if there's a version of the script where they indeed reveal it's her daughter. I would say that maybe they decided against that also because it's just like too predictable or a little too convenient. Um, it's not like the movie's subtle otherwise, but sure. I think I think like you and I were saying, we all. Uh, Oh, where's my daughter? And she's like, "Oh, would you like me to check for you?" And mm. then again, the daughter would have to be more like forty-ish, and Sonner Bucks clearly not that. So anybody who's yeah. like doing the math here is, I like, I don't know his daughter, how old his daughter was, but let's say she's six, and let's say Sonner Bullock's even thirty-two, even though she's probably like twenty-six or something. Right? <laughs> there, there's no way. It's something they could have not, not necessarily with her as a daughter, but at least brought back towards the end since it was brought up. Like, don't right. you at least want to know <laughs> you're, if you're going to be, if you're yeah. going to be here now, you are living in, you are living in 2032. You got yourself a girl. Now that you've settled down, why don't you actually go see where your daughter is? Had we gotten a sequel that was maybe just sure. kind of banked for that. All the stuff I'm talking about where you don't get to see how Sloan does XYZ. That could have been yep. in the next one. Um, what happened to his daughter? Did he go look up any other friends? Uh, his wife? You know, whatever. Oh, well, they said his wife was killed in the, in the earthquake of 2010. Yep. But whatever, you know what I'm saying? Just stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I think 
there was some setup there and could have been potentially interesting as long as the movie didn't veer too far into comedy, which I fear it might have done had they even showed that stuff in this one. So yeah, maybe it's good compromise. Right. But speaking of that sex scene, that's one of the more iconic or, or at least memorable moments of the film. I think next to the three seashells thing, that's one of the more referenced part. Um, I like where Stallone, she's like, oh, you mean fluid transfer? And he's like, no, I mean boning, the wild mambo, the honka chunka. I'm like, who calls it the honka chunka? I love the idea that Stallone just turns to his wife and says, hey, you want to go do the honka chunka? And she's like, oh, fuck yeah, Rocky or whatever thing that day. Uh-huh. She's like, oh yeah, Gabe Cash. Oh wait, he was Ray Tango. Whatever. <laughs> Ray Tango and Gabriel Cash. She's like, she's like, yeah, Rambo. He's like, Rambo is a pussy. <laughs> Let's go do the hunka chunka. I like that we had a uh, a second, uh, or not a second, but another another Stallone like kind of self. Oh yeah, in, in uh... I'm sorry, I just had a a moment of whatever <laughs> last in the last action hero Schwarzenegger's at the video store and sees Stallone as the Terminator. <laughs> right. He sees one of those cardboard cutouts. So I like that there's kind of this running little gag rivalry between them two. Oh, you mean referencing him as the president in this one? It, yes. Yes. Sorry. That's what I was getting at. <laughs> okay. Good setup. <laughs> Thank you. Almost, You're almost like... nailed. <laughs> yeah, I was halfway there. <laughs> All right. And so he still tries to have sex with her and goes, she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm breaking the law. <laughs> um, another great little moment is when she kicks him out. And after all that, he goes back to his room and it's dark and he forgets everything his voice coited. So all he has to do is say, you know, like lights or whatever, but he walks into the dark and stumbles down the stairs and there's this like glass shattering sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he just, he just groans lights. <laughs> and then, then starts mindlessly knitting, which is, which is a funny sight. Um, and he knits Bullock a whole ass sweater as an apology for the other <laughs> And then we find out this is yeah this, this is where we find out every cryocon is coded with a behavioral engineering program to make more or to make them more docile, have the desire to do these things rather than their criminal impulses. Um, so they discover that Cocteau programmed Phoenix's rehab to include all the computer and weapons knowledge and all this shit to wage war on this peaceful society. Um, and yes, the reason why is because it's Dennis Leary and his band of, quote, hooligans, rebels, who don't want to live in this can't-swear-can't-eat-red-meat society. Uh, Dr. Cocteau just apparently feels like he needs to be rid of them. They honestly don't seem that bad. They just pop up in, like, graffiti Taco Bell's walls and shit. <laughs> right. They steal some food from time to time, it seems like, and I guess their point is to be intimidating so they can get the food and whatnot, but they're really not all that harmful. I don't know. I mean, I guess I, yeah, right. No, no dictator type is going to let these people thrive, but at the same time, letting loose a wild dog killer from the nineties and thinking that's going to go well in a place that can't even defend itself just to kill a guy who wants to live underground and steal some Taco Bell really seems like a stupid fucking idea for a guy. Who's <laughs> <such a genius. laughs> 
Exactly. As he finds out I'm correct about because (laughs) (laughs) he learns his lesson. He does. Um, But yeah, so let's get into the the politics of this movie a little bit here at uh, hour three in this podcast. (laughs) What uh, (laughs) you think this is fascism? You think this is ideal? You think this is somewhere in between? You think. You'd go live in the sewers. Those sewer sets, by the way, are pretty impressive. I don't know. I like that. It was all filmed on a soundstage or whatever, but the way it's shot and the look of it is pretty good. I liked that in the uh, and and the museum scene too. I thought those were like both really cool like sets for the. But yeah, definitely the the underground sewer scenes were like there's a whole different world down there with vendors and. Speaking of the museum scene, I like when Salai hits uh, Snipes with the TV and goes, you're on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny. I forgot. I don't know why. (laughs) He gets a lot of good one-liners in this. Snipes is always just like, oh, what you got? What you got, soldier boy? (laughs) He's like, oh, I know that must have hurt. It's just saying all this shit. And Sly's like, you're on TV. Bam. (laughs) Heads up. Yeah. <laughs> Don't jump ahead. Wait, yeah, sorry. Get it ahead. Yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> um, as tonight, a... right after reincarnation. There you go. <laughs> now, do you? Is your question was this done as some sort of statement? Or are you asking? Uh, no, I don't. I don't really believe it's a statement. I mean, I'm sure right. the writer would tell you, oh yeah, I had all kinds of thoughts. But I'm just saying, uh, I don't. That's not the kind of movie this is. I don't think it's, you know, supposed to be some. I, yeah, or even like I a thought, Terminator type thing where like don't let yes. the machines get too much power. Uh you mm-hmm. know. But I think I think it's it's all in there, probably. But I guess my bigger question is there's aspects of the society where I'm like, this isn't so bad, but then at the same time, I also don't want to be told I can't have actual sex or have a burger or drink a beer or something. So but then it's like maybe there's a fine line between you can't have utopia unless you cut out all the shit that causes people to go crazy and whatever. So do you get on board and start putting on the helmets and uh, just right. having VR sex uh, just so everything else is better? Or do you? Yeah, it seems like you can't even live have down beer in the or any, sewer yeah, and eat rat anything. burgers and sh- Right. You can't smoke. You can't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it asks an interesting question. Again, I'm sure the writer's like, oh, yeah, I had all these ideas and like, they cut my script down from a epic, yeah. you know, whatever. Or, or maybe not even that. Maybe it's just like, but it's like, yeah, I tried to put all this stuff in there, see so people will think about it or, or whatever. But it's just not the type of movie this is or, or wants to be or, or whatever. Right. To get all that from it, cool. And, and we obviously did because we're talking about it. And I'm sure there's other people who loved uh, the idea of this movie. But generally speaking, there's not really answers in there. We're just sitting here talking philosophizing yeah Yeah. i think i think the there's there's good to both worlds the idea of yes uh, a utopian society would be that uh utopia everything would be great and perfect and ideal but to what to what a cost peter to what a cost alienating a lot of people i said sly looks great in this and he's really good um i love the the way he's playing this character as the 80s action film alpha persona you know kind of dropped into this society wanting a beer and 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 a burger and old-fashioned sex and you know i I think that's a a fun character to have and he does really well with it because 
he's he's not just being stupid in this movie, but um, when it calls for it, he can milk some comedy out of the fact that like, oh yeah, I love the way that burger smells, or you know, <laughs> like oh I, how, how do the hunk of chunk of it. It's just shit like that, and you can it's it's fun to drop him in there, but it's not like this movie is just constant like. Um, oh no, it's you know, he's he's a complete fucking moron or something, you know. Right, it's the occasional one-liners that he drops that cuz he's he's eternally a badass, but then he also has his good little quips in there, which is the Stallone yeah. I I enjoy. Yeah, Sly looks great. Uh he mm-hmm. gets some great lines and he delivers them perfectly. He's also great with facial expressions and body language. Uh he's a great actor and he can convey so much with you know, more than just words. He, he can be like just this physically imposing action guy, um, or he can just, just sort of the snarl of his lip or the way he turns his head or something like that. It's, I think he's underrated. And I, and I think he's an actual good actor, as we discovered in First Blood and some of these other movies we watched, even just for this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. He's got chemistry with Bullock in this. I think they're good together. Yeah, uh, I thought she, I thought she was. You know, I, I don't remember if I recognized her by the time I saw Speed. It was afterwards, but that whole scene down in the sewer, the uh, where the shootout, like the shootout starts and everything. Yep, that's pretty good. Salai and that rat burger is a is a great scene. <laughs> I love how he just great. keeps eating it too. <laughs> great lines and reaction from him. He, he she's like, "What's that smell?" He's like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then he gives her a watch for a burger and a beer that's nuts oh yeah <laughs> you have a uh, a random jesse ventura cameo I'm like yep. man he <laughs> he didn't even bother speaking in this one like at least in ricochet he talks a little bit i don't even know if he has a line in this movie right. <laughs> Yep, he's just there. Yep. <laughs> There's that meeting that Snipes has where he brings all the defrosted bad guys together and explains the new world and what they all they got to do to run it or whatever is a pretty great scene. It's just like, it's become a pussy whip Brady Bunch version of itself. And all we got to do to run the whole thing is kill a man named Raymond. He's like, and there's a bonus. We get to kill John Spartan. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, I want you to loot and pillage and plunder. And it's just, he lays out the whole thing in, uh, uh, you know, 30 <laughs> seconds or whatever for the audience. So it's a, it's Conveniently a tells you everything is, yeah. Yep. Snipes is, is having a ball doing it. It's great. I also like their costumes. They got these like old tires and shit all wrapped around them. And Yeah. I like that too. Which is, the, uh... I, I don't know why everybody has it. Even when Benjamin Bratt uh, is, who we should mention, is Sandra Bullock's <laughs> partner. Yeah. Did we even mention, Sandra Bullock is a cop. She's kind of obsessed with we the did. 90s. She's, yeah. yeah. Okay, so she's a, a 2032 San Angeles cop. A little bit of a renegade. Wants some 90s action. Bored with just uh, chasing truant kids and I don't know what else they even have to deal with in that society. Basically, all crime has has ceased. And so anyway, her partner is Benjamin Bratt. They put Stallone with these two and they go down to the sewer to to find Simon Phoenix because they know he must be down there because that's why they can't find him. 
So Benjamin Bratt, then at the end, they come out of this sewer battle and he's wearing the tire thing and everybody's like, oh, get one bump on the head and you think you're Pancho Villa? It's like, who's that? <laughs> I'm cutting all this out. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that, was a, that was a great part of the movie. Yeah, how about Dennis Leary? It's a little early in his career, so they still got him stuck doing the Dennis Leary thing of uh, talking. Where he goes on a yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to, I want to walk down the street with uh, naked with green Jello all over me and singing. You know what the future is, pal? It's a forty-seven-year-old version sitting in his bathrobe singing. I'm Oscar Mayer. I want high cholesterol. I want high blood pressure. I want to eat buckets of chicken, smoke a thousand cigarettes bacon, wide just because yeah. I might feel the need to. <laughs> yeah, it was. Do it, but he's good. It was everything it. he was in the ref and and uh, Judgment Night and. Well, even before that, like MTV and those commercials. Right. Oh, you're right. You know, just yeah. The whole uh, the whole '93 stand-up Leary persona, yeah. but yeah. All right, let's talk about Sly. In this and in his career at this point, this uh, this is the same year as Cliffhanger, which these two movies are kind of considered a comeback for him. Yeah, this movie is. I mean, I I love Cliffhanger too. I probably haven't seen that in just as long as I had seen this, and so I'm interested to dive back into that one again sometime. Yeah, I I love that one too. Um, this might be my favorite non franchise movie of his so like if you take out anything rocky or rambo sure even if i'm talking about those i think i'm doing that on a bit of a curve because i'm like okay that's my more favorite stallone drama like i don't really consider them even even first blood i don't necessarily consider like in the same league as like this movie or tango cash or something like that you know so right those are yeah they're they're much different yeah, so if you're like, what's your favorite Stallone movie? I, I immediately think, you know, cop action or something like that. Mm-hmm. I go four or five between like Cobra, Tango and Cash, Cliffhanger, this one, and I don't even, I don't, I don't know. Those are, I think, the the four that I would go with from this era. But sure, assassins, specialist. Well, we like those, but I don't, I don't know that. They're not better than Cliffhanger. In terms of favorite, then, right. Well, on Tango and Cash and Cobra, like you could like there's probably people who don't like those movies, but don't you think right. in the sort of if you were to buy the the Stallone like four D V D box set, you'd want like this, Tango and Cash, Cobra, um Cliffhanger. Yeah, probably Cliffhanger, except that's a different studio, so that's not gonna happen. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you're gonna oh, get yeah. like Assassins or the Specialist or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying though? It's uh, Yeah, I do. Yeah, I've, I bought those. I bought those back in the day. I've got those little VHS boxes with like three or four movies in them when they used to even bundle those and it was weird. I remember those, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got the Sloan. I'm trying Brothers. to think what it is. Yeah, I think it's Tango and Cash, Demolition Man, Cobra, and the Specialist is what's Okay. There that box but you can't go wrong there i thought stallone was a ton of fun in this movie and and like i said i i like i like the stallone that's that's a little more game for when the when the writing's like this it's it's fun i like him as the quiet assassin silent guy too but just he seemed like he was having a lot more fun than i than i recalled in this movie 
yeah, he's a ton of fun when he gets mm. animated and and really into stuff. So I agree. It has a little more going for it in terms of ideas too um, than some of the other ones we mentioned. Also, just in terms of the way he looks, I think in this movie and the specialist, he's kind of at the top of his game. I guess there's an argument for Rocky Three, Rambo Two era, but you know he's our age now in this movie and the specialist, and he looks fucking right. crazy. So he does. He's just a ton of bricks, man. I can't. Yeah. He's just so solid looking. Yeah, but he's also like not like Schwarzenegger big, you know. He's I mean, right. you know, he's shorter and everything, but he's just also slimmer in a way or more svelte, but yeah, just as and and you know he knows it uh, in both of these movies or, or both of those movies, the, the this one and the specialist. Um, he's he's showing off his his body 100% like they, they're coming up with scenes like all the sex scenes with Sharon Stone and the specialist and then here they literally freeze him in an ice cube naked and yeah and show <laughs> almost I'm pretty sure I saw some taint but I'm not positive yeah. I, I've seen this uh thing at uh Planet Hollywood and I don't remember what city it was in but uh yeah they've, they've got that prop or whatever and they've got like serious? A, yeah they've got a black kind of like loincloth around it so that's probably a smart idea yeah so you can't see it but yeah um there's a scene where he puts a key into a lock and he does it in the most awkward position possible just to show off his jacked arms and bolt he like puts it in backwards he's like and it's just so you can see like his defined yeah yeah all his all his veins and muscles popping out of his arm and then he puts the gun up to his head and it's like chef's kiss marco brimbilla great great <laughs> fucking job right yeah. like, he's like i know what's going in the trailer and and it was that seems <laughs> it was yeah yeah this um, was a i also of think fun. this is top tier snipes um what's his mount rushmore i got uh probably new jack city white men can't jump this and i guess maybe blade I, yeah you'd have to say blade even though i think the movie itself kind of sucked um yeah i'm not I, a huge blade guy but you know. that's definitely his mount rushmore for sure yeah because you could also talk about things like jungle fever and some of these you know movies he made when he's younger but sure like i love I major know. league but that's not a wesley snipes movie no he's, no he's no, great no. in it but it's not his movie yeah. that's yeah i'm talking movies where people are like you know, remember his character. Yeah, fucking Nino Brown is. Yeah, yeah, Nino Brown is has to be on Nino there. Brown. Yeah, the Simon the Phoenix. White man can't. Yeah. I don't know what his name is in that. Yeah, and then Blade. <laughs> Me neither. Yep. But, <laughs> and people quote shit all the time. You know. Right. Yeah, and Blade. Um, I yeah. definitely agree with that. Unless you want to sub Blade for Passenger Fifty Seven. <laughs> mm, I'd rather. Yeah, I would too, but that's not that's yeah. not how the whole <laughs> well. the consensus. But no, he's he's great in this. I used to think he was. I, I remember when I first saw this movie, I was actually a little more. Um, I was never critical of it. I always liked it. I could watch it hundred percent. But I think I think I read um, the novelization of it, which is a weird thing. We've talked about this once before that I would do. Uh-huh. Right? I'd find I'd find the the book quote unquote of demolition man or i'm trying to think of some of the other ones i had you know, I, i'm pretty sure i had a lethal weapon one or whatever but i thought or hudson hawk was the one i wrote a freaking book report on assuming this was the novel hudson hawk yeah. and not realizing that these things were called novelizations and they were <laughs> you know derivative of the screenplay 
anyway, so I remember reading this one and then I remember seeing this movie and I'm like, man, they're really burning through the first half of this movie. <laughs> I don't think I, I never, I never finished the, uh, I don't think I ever finished the book, but I, I remember reading enough of it that I was like, oh yeah, yeah, it starts with this shootout and he captures them and stuff. I'm like, oh, where's that one line of dialogue from the book and stuff like that. And it's probably a good thing I didn't read the entire thing before I saw this movie because I was like, <laughs> I remember already feeling like, man, the, this, they're making Simon Phoenix way too cartoony, or they're they're really rushing through this dialogue, or they didn't include <laughs> that one part. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I only remember reading that scene, or only, at least only remember thinking the difference was in that scene. So I must have just stopped there and never went back to it. But that's a pretty funny memory that, frankly, I didn't remember for thirty years until just this moment, Peter. So wow. thank you, man, for that walk down memory lane. I also hey, remember man, sitting that's... in the toilet in the hotel room reading the last Boy Scout. Um, novelization and i was like i don't know 10 oh actually you know what i think it was demolition man i was reading on the toilet yeah because that was like 93 that makes more sense summer of 93 before this that okay that all tracks i was wondering when and why i would have read that that's why went up to eagle river grandpa and uncle it was late i couldn't sleep they were snoring away i couldn't fall asleep it was awful went to the bathroom pulled out this demolition man novelization that's a little bit of it Went to bed, never watched the rest of it. Yeah, this all just came pouring out of me right now. Thanks, man. I'm glad Love I could you, jog. Peter. I might finally hey. cry. <laughs> I try, man. That's just what I'm here for to bring the best out of Ron. Snipes is a, a fun character. It's a great performance. Let's talk about the soundtrack uh, a little bit. Um, I just want to touch on it. I don't, I don't yeah. know if you understood any I of this, but. Didn't notice any of it. Okay. <laughs> Not like the score, but so um, it's weird. I have it because uh, it was a time in my life where I was just buying soundtracks to movies I like just because, especially if they had a like major artist on them. So this is by Sting, and all it is is a six-song EP uh, with a re-recording of the title track. So there, there's this what? song, Demolition Man, okay, mm. which was a ni- 1981 song by the police, uh, a band Sting was in. And then five live tracks from Sting's current tour at the time, which includes the Lethal Weapon 3 theme song, It's Probably Me, which I actually love on that soundtrack. Uh, but the I like that version song, here, too. Yeah, the, okay. the version on the soundtrack or the live version isn't much fun. Uh, there's also a live version of the police song, King of Pain, a song I adore. Uh, this version's fine, but inessential, but I, I don't know if that's supposed to be like in reference to Wesley Snipes' character or something. I'd like to right. think that. But the whole soundtrack is weird, though. It feels like some weird afterthought like someone realized there was a sting song with the same name as the title of this movie and they're like oh let's let's use it and then sting was like well i really want to promote this this tour or whatever and but why they only bothered to put five other tracks on it and just throw it out like i mean why make it an ep just put your whole fucking live album on it and call sure. it demolition man soundtrack <laughs> right like, i don't i don't get it um but and do they play that sting song or the Demolition Man song in the movie, or is it just at the it's end? It's at the end credits. Yeah. Okay, I yeah. made it two seconds into the end credits, and then I shut it off. Not out of anger or anything. I was just <laughs> just done. Well, it's a it's a very weird artifact, if you ask me. I think that's like pretty it's cool. A, it's that a weird you have soundtrack. It. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I'm not trying to say artifact in the sense that like I've got an artifact. I'm saying like yeah. it's a relic of its time. Relic, it's weird, exactly. It's a weird like 
90s artifact, I guess. There can't be Even many people Sting that have that. artifact. Yeah, Sting probably doesn't remember that Sting did that. Um, yeah but I really like it's probably me which has nothing to do with this movie I mean it's on the soundtrack but you don't want that version so it's probably me I'm just saying Sting can do some stuff when he He wants to I'm I'm a police fan Yeah, and a couple Sting solo songs yeah (laughs) it debuted at number one at the box office Uh, alright I saw it I'm pretty sure I saw it opening weekend I, I think I remember Keeping an eye on it. Um, I was I was into my caring about what movies were making phase by '93. Uh, yeah, 58 million by the end of its run in North America and 159 worldwide. Roger wow. Ebert was asked why this film was considered a success, but Last Action Hero was considered a disappointment. Despite similar budgets and box office grosses, Ever concluded this was due to expectations that the film was seen as a comeback for Stallone, whose career had been flagging, or Schwarzenegger's failure to live up to his previous record-breaking successes. In 2017, Sylvester Stallone's loan-out company filed a lawsuit against Warner Brothers over the disbursement of profits from the film. The lawsuit was settled in 2019. Hmm. Critical response. This has a approval rating of 62%. Rotten Tomatoes, 42 reviews, cites consensus of better than average sci-fi shoot 'em up with a satirical undercut. Demolition Man is bolstered by strong performances from Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, and Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Cinema score. Uh, it only got a grade B on an A plus F scale, which is low because they those always kind of skew high unless it's something like controversial yeah. or weird or different. So anytime it's like some crowd pleaser, they're always like, Oh, Hey, so BC. I agree. Like what did people, what did people want from this movie? What did you think you were getting into? <laughs> right. Everything was kind of laid out for you in the previous. <laughs> yeah. I got exactly what I was looking for. Uh, critics, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert from at the movies reviewed the film. Siskel found the film amusing, but did not care for the action sequences and gave it thumbs down. Whereas Ebert enjoyed both the security satirical edge uh, this ha- film had over other films in the genre and thought the action sequences were good for this type of film and gave it a thumbs up. I do remember at the time People Magazine, I believe the critic at the time was Ralph Novak or something like that. Does that sound okay. familiar to you? Um, I, well, I used to I read, I I used to read People Magazine movie reviews all the time, but I was Lee Greenblatt one of their... Oh, yeah. Or is that music? Uh, I don't know. That name sounds familiar. Anyways... I, yeah, I so used to read the name. people reviews all the time, but that that name in particular doesn't sound familiar. Well, anyway, he's on the back of the box of the movie, but he wrote something like it's the best sci-fi action movie since The Terminator or something like that, which would put it above Terminator 2 in right. <laughs> esteem. Um, and yeah, you, we can argue that praise or whatever, but that, that was one super glowing review where... You know, that guy totally got it or at least was all in and had a ton of fun yeah. with it. So And so did is... and so did I. <laughs> all right, Peter. What do you uh what do you rank this film out of four? I'm giving this oh see, I wanna give it four stars just on its entertainment value. But then there's like the the little things you can pick apart. I'm going to give it four stars. 
<laughs> because this right, movie that's... was this movie was a ton of fun, and that's all I ever asked for. Yeah, that's good to hear. I was afraid when you said you didn't like it because the last couple you've said you didn't like that you've seen before you stuck by it. So yeah, I was fully intending on on that happening again today. So I I like the pleasant surprises. Nice. Um, I'm gonna give it four star. I don't know. I I know I kind of was trying to be like at the beginning. Maybe I don't like this movie anymore, and I never really yeah. paid off with any of that. But oh, nope, still love it. Go watch it anytime. I'll watch it right now. <laughs> Fuck it. Like I said, it's it's probably my favorite Stallone movie. Just all things considered, in terms of like I said, that action vein. Um, yeah, I know there's some Rocky movies I think are better than this, and even maybe a Rambo or two, but. Of of the Cobra, Tango and Cash, Cliffhanger, Demolition Man, Specialist, Assassins, up through Get Carter Run. I think, like, if you're just like, you want to watch one of these movies right now, which one? I think I'd probably go with this one. And I can see why now. Yeah. 30 years later. Yeah. Would you well, Would you like the top 10? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's see if quick. I can do it. I know, I know, Demolition Man is number one. Yeah. What did it make in its opening weekend? Fourteen million dollars. Yeah, and you know what's funny is, um, the specialist opened to about the same and made even a little more than this movie, and that's considered a really? huge bomb. I mean, maybe that's it costs more. Although it's weird that specialist would have cost more than this. It doesn't have. Special yeah, this seems like more. it would have, right? Well, um, yeah, a lot of stars. I mean, I don't know. True. Oh, we didn't even talk no. about the guy from uh, Beetlejuice's in this movie. Oh, the, yes, the uh, associate Bob is. Yeah, <laughs> we don't really yeah, have to say a whole lot about it. He's just in this movie, yeah. essentially playing the same thing. Yeah. What's with Wait, your hair? Pick a color. <laughs> What's with those gloves? gloves are you, are you a surgeon? surgeon? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Lose the kimono. The, the number two movie is in its second week. Um, okay. It is a Walt Disney live action film that I would have said came out in 92, but obviously it did not. Um, it's a lighthearted comedy slash Disney. So, okay, this is 93. Yeah. Came out the week before. So like October 1st, 93 yeah. Disney live action. Yep. Yeah. Um, give me, give me something about what's going on in it. Mm. Olympics. Oh, is this cool runnings? It is cool runnings. Yep. This, uh, made $8 I thought million. That was more of a summer movie, but okay. that's yeah. It says it's, says it's in his second week, unless it was a re-release. Okay. But I, it, I'm yeah. sure I just misremembering, but yeah. Uh, number three is, Sorry, I'm having some minor technical issues here. It's in its second week of release. It's a uh, neo-noir thriller. It's written by Aaron Sorkin. Um, neo-noir. 1993. It's a Columbia Pictures... Um, I can give you. Do you want me to give you the male, the male lead? Because this still isn't an obvious movie by any means. No, because it might be to me. Um, why don't okay. you? Well, I don't know. I, I just feel like I feel like I'm hedging down a spot where I'm going to be like, oh yeah, that movie. Why don't you tell me like what the? Give me a little bit of the plot or the story or something. Like, okay. Um. 
Oh, you don't know? You've never heard of it? Oh no, I never, I never saw it. But um, is it like a two-person, like lovers on the run type thing, or is it like a? It's a two-person, you know, yeah. The uh, newlywed couple whose lives are upturned after they rent part of their Victorian Victorian home to Jed, uh, a Cavalier surgeon. This is malice. This is malice. Things are further complicated when he removes her ovaries during an emergency surgery. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Alec Baldwin is a surgeon, right? Yeah. That's the God one where they're Kidman. like, you asked me if I have a God complex, I am God. Yeah. I never is, actually saw is, that movie. But... Is Pullman the bad guy in it? I'm assuming. Mm, I think Baldwin's the bad guy. Oh, Baldwin. Okay. Well, I don't know. Who knows? They might both be. I, I don't know. I've never seen it. Right. People say it's good. We'll get to it. Ten years. <laughs> exactly. Ten Stay years tuned. from tonight. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, four? Number four <laughs> is a... In its third week, it's a thriller. It's kind of controversial. It's very dumb. Um, sliver. No. Um, good guess though. Um, Thanks. Sure. That was in the spring. I mean, that was a '93. Yeah. yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. So kind of controversial. It's a yeah. Is it, what is it? Erotic thriller or what? No. Uh, I don't even want to say psychological thriller, but I guess. If, I feel like if I name it, third week, late September. Yeah, or, uh, it's. Uh, yeah. I don't know any of the. I only know the two main stars. I can't think. If I say anything more about them, then it's going to give it away. But I'll just do it for time purposes. They're kids. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, shit. <laughs> you had good it, didn't son? you? Yeah, you yeah. had it, didn't you? <laughs> I didn't have it, but I was. I, you were getting you there. Said it, I knew it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this next film is uh, something that I doubt either of us have seen. It's in its fifth week. And it's a Disney movie as well. It's Walt Disney. Oh, yeah, it's just Disney movie. It's made $4.7 million up to this point. Made $32 million in the box office. It's a uh, foreign... I don't know if it's a foreign film. Uh, is this... This is Asian. Joy Luck Club? Yeah. (laughs) Did you see it? Um, I don't think so, but yeah, I was definitely aware of it. That was a big, I think it was a big Oscar player. I think so. Um, Number six is a Daniel Day Lewis movie. Hold up. 93. In the Name of the Father? Um, I think this is fucking Daniel Day Lewis. (laughs) Oh, shit. It's Daniel Day Lewis and Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, Age of Innocence. I just all go. I had to say was this not in the name of the father, I would have known it was Age of Innocence. <laughs> Your number seven film. Uh, this is a drama with Richard Gere. And uh, um, after being arrested during a manic episode, a man who suffers from bipolar is treated by a psychiatrist. Shit. Final analysis was 92. What do you do in 93? 
that 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 plot doesn't sound familiar at all so i know i haven't seen it but i i'm just I, I should be able to just go on my right just by actor and year Richard Gear movie that came out in yeah. '93. It also um, has yeah. Lena Olin and Delroy Lindo and Ann Bancroft. Oh yeah yeah uh, uh 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 oh shit what's the name of it? Uh, uh I can picture the box. It's like a name, right? Yep. Uh, Mr. Jones or yes yes is that Mr. it? Mr. Jones. Yep. <laughs> Look at you. Once you said Lena Olin, I knew it. I, I never saw it. Right. But... It's in its first week. It debuted at number seven. Never got higher than number seven, though. Jeez, poor Richard Gere. <laughs> talk about a talk about a flop. Right. Number eight is in its second week of release. It was number six last week. Uh, it is uh, directed by Robert De Niro. Um, uh, Bronx Tale. Yep. Number nine is a movie directed by David S. Ward. Hmm. And Peter loves it. <laughs> I feel like the way you said that was such a sneer. Yeah. <laughs> David S. Ward, 93. It's not Major League Two. What the hell else did he do that we were talking about? Oh, Necessary Roughness. No, nope. no, the program. No, that's what there I mean. you go. Program. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry, I get them mixed up sometimes too. <laughs> yeah. This uh, next one is uh, this is number ten, by the way. We've made it to yeah. number ten. It's in its tenth week of release. It's up to a hundred and seventy million dollars. Tenth. It was number eight. So yeah, summer of '93. Big. Yes, yeah, so this is the big. Uh, so this isn't like the. Forrest Gump and Lion King year. It's the year before that. Jurassic yep. Park. Nope. Good guess, though. Uh, that was oh, actually shit. 16. Okay. Uh, it was more of a summer movie that's still trink- trickling into October. So it's... Okay, it's for adults. More so, yeah. The Fugitive? Yep. All right. Nicely done. Uh, some notable ones. You have Mr. Nanny. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a, fucking, our, uh, a Hulk Hogan, Hogan movie. hanging yeah. out in the <laughs> bottom 10. Striking distance at number 14. Uh, it's pulled in 22 million in its fourth week of release. Okay. Um, Dazed and confused at number 17 in its third week, only at $872,000. Yeah. There you go. That's pretty good for striking distance, unfortunately. That's no. a bad result. <laughs> Not good. Not even, good. Even back even back in ninety three, you know, you there were still movies opening to twenty million dollars. Right. <laughs> or at least ten, but you're sitting there at twenty two after four. Weeks. Yeah. 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 I'd like to see that movie again though. I remember having fun with it. Me too. I, I that's another one I knew at the time where I was like, Oh yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff dumb about this, but whatever. It's yeah. Bruce Wilson His hair was probably the worst. <laughs> I don't remember. But... <laughs> he wore, a, wore like a baseball cap through a lot of it, right? Or yeah, like, he has like this blonde boat yeah. hat. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah he does wear a like, good, yep. pretty good bald patch going. Uh huh. That's all right. Nothing well, Ron, we breezed. Movies. We breezed through this episode in record time. 
<laughs> no, but the important thing is that we got everything out that we wanted to say about these movies. Exactly. These two brother and sister films, Demolition Man, in terms of endearment. Exactly. Join us uh, after the Thanksgiving holiday for um, Scarface and Sudden Impact. I'm looking forward to that yeah, episode. That's going to be kick Especially ass. since I'll put my cards on the table. I am not a Scarface fan at all. N- so, I. Really? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're having a special guest on for that one, so let's not gang up on him. We gotta. All right. Hey, I will. You never know, right? You never know. You, I mean, you didn't like Demolition Man. I, I exactly. turned coat on. What was the movie? Return of the Returns. Jedi. All of a sudden, I'm Return like, of oh, the Jedi. Man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shit happens, man. You never know. Sometimes exactly. you're just watching and you're like, mind blown. <laughs> it hits you. All right. Well, I'm going to call in sick for work tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to show up later than I normally do. <laughs> oh, it's only 1046. It'll be fine. Right. And by show right, up, uh, I, mean, I walk downstairs and turn on my computer. Oh, God. <laughs> I envy that so much. I know. It's, it's pretty nice. God. All right, fans. <laughs> for my sake, please remember to rate, like, subscribe. If you're if you find yourself frozen in jail at any point and you might wake up in the year 2032, please remember to write, listen to the big 4-0 on a little piece of paper and stick it up your ass or something. I don't know yeah, wherever wherever they're putting it in that type of prison. I assume the ass is still the place. anyway. Whatever you got to do. So when you dethaw, you can get it out there to those people, and we'll probably still be sitting here doing this. So we'll be happy for all the new uh, fans and traffic. Exactly. And we will welcome you just as we have all our other beloved listeners. I mean, 2032 isn't that far from now. It's only like 10 years. Oh, it's so. nine years. We're almost there, man. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Unfrozen well, we Jeffrey Dahmer. Works. Yeah. But the only problem is there's not a cryo prison, so that part's not real. Oh, so. that's right. Damn it. No. All right. Well, oh, then... that never happened. That never came true. <laughs> just the just the fascism. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh Ron. Okay, rate, like, subscribe. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Kiss your, mom. Yeah. Kiss yeah, your mama. Tell her you love her. A... <laughs> <laughs> All right, next week, um, sudden impact. Two weeks. And well, you know, for yeah. for these people, no, it's probably gonna be right. two weeks also. I'll post some bonus well, content. There you go. Some have a great Thanksgiving, random. everybody. <laughs> oh yeah, have a have a good Turkey Day, everyone. Yeah, you you especially, from, Ron, from your friends at the Big Furrow. No, 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 yeah. you, Peter. You're the, <laughs> you're the true turkey. 